Tomahawk, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Like to Movie Movie, the podcast about movie movies. My name is Garrett Smith. My name is Dan Scully. And today we are here to talk about one of Dan Scully's, if not the it's only. my favorite movie. The favorite movie, Boogie Nights. Uh, but before we get there, uh, if you guys want to find more episodes of I Like to Movie Movie, uh, the easiest place to find them is I Like to Movie.tumblr.com. That's the numeric two, I Like to Movie. .tumblr.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at I Like To Movie, uh, Facebook.com slash I Like To Movie. It's all with the number two. And uh, boy, we had an awesome holiday. We're having a great new year. Uh, we yeah, had happy 2017. Guys. Yes, happy 2017. Welcome to the new year. It's about to be, boy, we, we got a whole year ahead of us, and it's going to be a big one. Uh, it's going to be a big one for Movie Movie. It's going to be a big one for America. It's going to be a big one for the world. So uh, we're excited. Uh, and what we're most excited about is we had a fucking, like, really killer holiday. Um, you guys downloaded uh, our best of episode in droves. Yes, uh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's it's the most downloaded episode uh, of all and time. You're welcome. For movie, movie. You're welcome for all the entertainment. <laughs> yes, uh, and we appreciate you guys downloading it. And we got some fresh iTunes reviews. We got a little bump there. Uh, thank you guys so much for for finding us on iTunes, rating the show, leaving us a comment. That really helps us, and uh, we hope that you'll do some more of that. And uh, if you want to, you know, suggest a movie for us to do in the future, email us at I like to movie at gmail.com. Uh, and I think with that, we can get this thing rolling. You want to talk about Boogie Nights, Dan? Yeah, my favorite movie is Boogie Nights. Uh, while writer-director Paul Thomas Anderson has made a career full of inarguably great films, a few of which may even be better than Boogie Nights, his energetic depiction of the rise and fall of Dirk Diggler, a fictional porn legend, remains my favorite. I love the cast, I love the style, I love the way that it swings from tragedy to madcap humor and back, often in a single shot. I love the long takes, I love the soundtrack, I love the way that, it, that the almost cartoonish characters are real. I love the way that these characters are absolved of our judgments because they are written as real, as human. I love the period detail for the two decades in which it occurs. I love that despite being the story of Dirk Diggler, it's actually a tale about film itself, about the effect of a medium on the art it contains and the effect of art on the people who create it, about the concessions an artist must make for success, about the effect of success on art, I love Boogie Nights because, in my eyes, it's the greatest movie movie ever made. There's a joke in the science world. Given enough time, hydrogen will start to wonder where it came from. And I think the same goes for movies, and I don't think it's ever been done better than in Boogie Nights. Wait, explain the last part to me. That was the only thing I lost. There's a, a joke in the science world. Yeah. Hydrogen, given enough time, yeah. will start to wonder where it came from. That's yeah. the story of the universe. Yeah. Because we're asking, the, hydrogen is where it all began. Yeah, yeah. And here we are talking about it. Yeah. Boogie Nights is one of the first movies to be a movie about making movies. Oh. To represent the effect on, of movies on the artist. The effect of the artist on the movies and the effect of the business and the medium and how that shifts the art itself. And so it's a movie that's really asking questions about making movies. Yeah. And I think that that is so wonderful. <laughs> it is wonderful. That's also one of my favorite uh, genres of movie in general. Like Absolutely. The, the, where they're so... I mean, like, Inception is that weird, like, you could say it's about making movies, but it's not directly about making movies. Mm. 
I really love movies that are like you know like Day for Night is is a really great that's a Truffaut movie. Okay, that I don't is, think I've seen the one. Oh, it's so good. It's it's all it's a French movie about making a movie. Uh, and you have the, it has like a wonderful opening tracking shot. Uh, mm. You know, uh, very w- which we'll get into with this uh, and and where the Scorsese influences on it and stuff. And I would imagine some of his. Uh, fascination with those long tracking shots comes from Truffaut. It opens with this amazing long tracking shot that then eventually the camera pulls out of to reveal a bunch of other cameras. Mm-hmm. Like that this is a scene that they've been making for a movie, not a scene in the movie we've been watching. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so there is like this long tradition of movies about movies. And it's one of my favorite genres because, I don't know, the idea of an artist reflecting on themselves and their medium with their medium to describe their media, you know what I mean? It's like it's so mm-hmm. self-reflexive, yet you don't get something about movies. You can't get lost in it. Well, I think the the point here is that now we do it all the time. Yeah, it's almost par for the course yeah. to comment on the medium that you're using as you use it. Yes, to the point where it's like so on the nose, which yeah. can be good or bad. It can sure. go either way. Sure. If you look at like a cabin in the woods, that yeah, is yeah, hundred percent that, and it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Not taken away from that. Yeah, but this is one of those where. It is only concerned with that, and it doesn't feel concerned with that at all. Yeah. It is all in service to this story, which is a fictional biopic. Yeah, yeah. So th- there's really no there's no allegiance to this character that, that uh, needs to be made into the real world. True, so right. it doesn't necessarily have to be about him, mm-hmm. but we make it about him so that we can tell this story about how this shifting medium is, I don't want to say the villain, but uh, so we'll get into it in a little yeah. bit, but they do have a conversation about how... I'm not going to video yep. because I'm in film. And the guy's like, I'm just trying to stay ahead of it. I yeah. want to make money. Yeah. I'm not trying to make art. Right. That's something that we run into so much now is where is the line between making money and making art? Yeah. Uh, we often lament about the Marvel films. Yeah. Just shoveling money in. And lately to me, it seems like some of the art has shifted or changed or, or has even been lost. So much so we've started calling it content. Yes, we it, call it content. It's become exactly. married so much. Now it's just content. Mm-hmm. Get them clicks, get those people yep. on it. They spend the money, we'll move on. When yep. we get the money, we'll make something great. Yeah. And this this covers all of that. And it's just a good movie, too. Y- yeah. yeah. And, well, because you have, you know, there I think that this movie is like really thematically rich, and we can talk mm-hmm. about a lot of that. But the reason it works, you know, you can't you can, but the reason this movie works as well as it does is because it is thematically rich. But it is also a legitimate story about these characters Mm -hmm. that we get involved with and invested in over the course of the film. So when we get to the resolution of the movie, you get a lot out of it. You get a lot out of the story of the characters, like the actual fiction that's happening in front of you. Mm -hmm. But you also get a lot of thematic richness out of what they represent in this sort of larger scheme of the film. Because to me, this movie, whenever I think about this movie, I sort of... The way I've always sold it to people is, oh, it's a really interesting look at the evolution of American culture from the 70s to the 80s mm-hmm. using the porn industry and its evolution from the 70s into the 80s as the lens through which to actually look at all of culture in America. All of culture and and all of film. Yeah. Uh, porn has always existed, at least in, in its early days, as a small pocket of film. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, what one of the things about it was, you know, anybody now we think, oh, just pick an act, yeah, Google it, you got it, yeah. it's done, yep. it's it's fine, you got the job. Mm-hmm. But there was a time where it was like, well, people are going to buy tickets to this in the theater right. because we don't have computers at home. Yeah, people are going to go, and the only way to really do that, since it's not necessarily legal to just jack off in a theater, sorry, yeah. Pee Wee, <laughs> it's uh, they had to 
operate under the auspices of, oh, no, 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 this is just a movie, uh-huh. but it's for adults, so we can have things like fucking in it, yeah. when really it was, the fucking brings people in, yeah. but how do we get them to stay? Mm-hmm. How do we get them to say, oh, I want to come back and watch that again? Yep. Because it's very expensive to make a, uh, a any sort of movie. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing it with film, you gotta put butts in it's seats. Even more expensive. And so if you just got people coming in, they go, "Okay, I got, I got my, I blew my load on that one. What's next?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, they kind of want to go back because it's a fun movie too. <laughs> that doesn't exist anymore. No. But that's what we are currently doing with, uh, you know, with with the film business. Is mm-hmm. we got to get the butts in the seats, but we got to figure out a way to keep them from watching it at home. We mm-hmm. got to figure out a way to get them to show up at the theater and pay the money mm-hmm. so that we can make our money back and do it again. Mm-hmm. And it's just wild to watch that from a uh, famously porn killed the laser disc, right? Because it was too big, mm-hmm. you can't hide it. Mm-hmm. DVD one, mm-hmm. porn chose Blu-ray over HDT HT. HD DVD, <laughs> HG over home and garden yeah. television. Over at first, I thought you were just gonna say HD TV. I was like, oh, no, no. yeah, we just we got rid of television, got rid of TVs. <laughs> Everyone's fucking no, yeah. over HD DVD was yeah. what, what was gonna mm-hmm. be that lost because yep. porn chose that. Porn chose it. So porn being the smaller thing is also at the forefront of it, and we're sort of watching the birth of porn being at the for- forefront of film while also commenting on the business of film mm-hmm. and the necessity of the business and the way it interacts with the art itself. Yeah. Well, yeah, because when they have that conversation about like moving to video, the most of the conversation centers around uh, we can get a lot of it for cheap, so you can film forever with it, mm. and it's really easy to reproduce what you filmed so we can cheaply distribute many, many copies mm-hmm. and make a lot of money off of it. Uh, and that, you know, and so that's where, again, like if you want to talk about the actual movie business, it's, that is the evolution of the film business itself, all encapsulated in this porn industry. And like you said, it's this idea that the porn industry is doing it a step ahead of the other industries mm-hmm. and almost forcing those industries to come with it. Yep. Porn, because it's the smaller guy, in order to make as much capital as possible, has to have its foot in the future, right? And in doing so, actually brings the bigger guy with it into the future. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Because that's where that's where the it's it's almost like a testing ground. Yeah, you know, it's the soft rollout Mm -hmm. of VHS. But when they're on it, they're on it, and you know, it's well, and it's also then the film industry gets to look at the smaller industry and go, look at how much money they're fucking raking in. We can do that too. Yeah, we can we can have that same kind of capital. And there was a shift too. I, I remember it blew my mind as a little kid when my dad told me like, no, before we had VHS, like. You either saw it in the theater or you didn't. Or you didn't, yeah. You know, that was it. You moved on. So yep. that, And so that became the new thing was with VHS, how do we get the butts in the seats? So yeah. they followed the porn thing. Now, porn went fully no butts in the seats. It, not at they all. They don't even clean uh, yeah. the seats. <laughs> and uh, I, so <laughs> There must still be porn theaters in cities there are, and places, yeah. right? Yeah. I've never been to a porn theater, but yeah. I am most familiar with the idea that there are porn video booths in the back of adult right. bookstores. Yeah, yeah. So they kind of went that route. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there are very many... Like triple uh, X theaters. Exactly. Yeah. Like Those exist, but I think they're few and far between. Yeah. And so we're actually watching that with... Uh, I, I probably am sounding redundant, but we're watching that with the dawn of digital. Yeah. Replacing... Uh, you know, replacing video. Now, they video, didn't shoot yeah. uh, mainstream movies on video. They kept right. film for a while. There's still mm-hmm. some purists. Yep. But, you know, VHS did change that because it brought home video around. Yep. Uh, that's where we got letterboxing over mm-hmm. the um, formatted to fit your screen, yep. that whole thing. 
But now we're watching the shift to digital, and the question that everyone asks is, how is this affecting the art? Right. And half the argument is, well, we can do as many takes as we want, mm -hmm. so we can really craft this beautiful Better movie art. in post. Yeah. But then vice versa, there was, yeah, but there was a certain charm to crafting it in camera yeah. and then just shaving it in post. And so we watched that happen in the porn industry once, and whereas they shied away from it, it happened in the film industry twice. Yeah. Well, and the... Uh Sorry, I got distracted by my neighbor banging on her wall. <laughs> I was wondering what that was. That, it came through a little bit on the mics. She's the one that threw biblical text. Yeah, status, right? yeah, yeah. She's okay. the one that uh, threw an entire sign uh, talking about the <laughs> peace that Jesus can bring out her window out of your head. I don't think he would have thrown it at us. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a religious scholar, but yeah. Sorry, I lost the train of thought there because uh, of the distraction. Um, we were talking about how it's a story of the shifting medium. Yes. Uh, it's the same thing that I always use to defend the artist, even mm -hmm. though, you know, whatever you feel about it, it's it's a cool movie, it's a novelty, but it was right at the cusp of, are we going digital? Right. And it was a story about, are we going talky? Right. Yeah, and that is, I just watched Singing in the Rain this weekend. That oh, yeah. is exactly the plot of that. Yep. So it is an interesting thing. I just think... Uh, Boogie Nights pulls the lens back so far that it's it's almost sneaky about it. Yeah, yeah. Like you could miss that entirely if you weren't looking for it. Oh, I think so. I mean, like, that's kind of what I was saying, too, is it's such a... Uh, the script is so good, and the performances are so incredible across the board that you can just get lost in this as a movie, as just a story of these characters. Like if my mom watched this, I don't know that she would get the the sort of the way this is a microcosm of the larger pop culture and the way it's changing from the 70s to the 80s. But she might just get invested in the actual story of Dirk Diggler and Roller Girl and mm -hmm. Jack Horner. Like she might latch on to just this as its own story. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you can actually take all of the thematic resonance that you and I might find in it out of it and still get totally invested in it just as its own fiction. It's it's that well the characters are that well drawn and it's that's that what well it comes told. down to too is the characters yes because with an ensemble picture like this where it's this big mm -hmm. and it's two and a half hours long uh -huh. if you're gonna make someone sit for two and a half hours you've really got to draw them in mm -hmm. and so why this is a movie movie is that there's a lot of of showy film technique that's not gaudy it's just very showy uh -huh. that allows us to just bounce from character to character and learn a little bit about each of them. And actually, you pointed this out, so I'll let you lead into it, yeah. is that there's a revolution of yeah. repeating sequences. He So one of the things that I think he does smartly, and I, I feel like this is even something I read recently, I, and I can't remember who said it, some sort of quote that, like, film is repetition. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, you can talk about that on a granular level where it's the repetition of, of 24 frames per second to create the moving image or whatever. But Granular. That's yeah. a good word. Yeah. That was good. In a more macro sense... Yeah. It made me want a granola bar. I will say that. <laughs> I immediately was like, oh man, Belvita. <laughs> what yeah. is Belvita? They're, they're a, that's the first brand that popped to my head because I often see the rappers on the street. I think people hand them out. Like, it's hilarious to me that there's a cheese called Belvita <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and something else called Belvita that has... I don't know. That's weird. It's Belvita. Yeah, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, uh, but you can look at that on like a uh, a, a more uh, macro level. Uh, I literally, now I just want macaroni and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, man. <laughs> Which I gotta say, I just recently upgraded to Kraft Mac and Cheese Deluxe. Oh. It's got better cheese. It's oh? two dollars instead of oh? one. And Velveeta shells, shells and cheese can fucking kick rocks and suck cocks because <laughs> Kraft Mac and Cheese Deluxe is where it's at. Oh, I've always been a Kraft man, but I have not Dude. dipped into the Deluxe <sighs> train yet. Oh, put a little hot sauce in there. Ooh. Oh, good night. Holy moly. Yeah, it's good stuff. Anyway, so granular, uh, yes. macro. Uh, 
on a on a macro level, yes. like film mm. as repetition, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that works really well, like Edgar Wright does this. Um, there there are a lot of smart filmmakers that do this, but it really works for this movie, especially because it's a two and a half hour movie. He's sort of the first hour of the movie. I wouldn't argue it's slow, but it certainly takes its time compared to the back half of the movie. It's not plot heavy. No. It's very much just getting us into the world, mm-hmm. getting us into the characters. You pointed out there's like a whole dance sequence. Yeah. And it's only like 45 minutes into this movie that will go on for another length of an entire movie after it. You know, mm-hmm. that there's still 90 minutes to follow. There's a dance number. And for a second, it's like, you you might want to go like, why are we watching everybody dance? But it part of it is bring us into the world, letting us get to know the characters very naturally without a lot of exposition, letting them just sort of unfold in front of us. But in doing so, he's literally like, there's a tracking shot that goes through Jack's house that gets repeated like three or four more times throughout the movie. Um, you have uh, the these sort of rotating shots around uh, certain groups best, of characters yeah. as they have conversations. In the first hour, they're all kind of slow and we're meandering through all these scenes and we're watching all these things unfold. And you might question, like, why are we spending so much time at the pool party in this long tracking shot? It's because we're going to get that shot over and over and over again throughout the movie. And it's going to get faster and faster. And as we progress through the 80s, because we know so much about everybody from that first nice relaxed hour... As these things repeat themselves, he's literally teaching us how to watch his movie, essentially. He's going like, oh, here, I'm giving you this long, slow take around the pool so that when I come back to it, and it's cocaine-fueled and in the 80s, and you need to see how much damage has been done to Dirk over the course of these 10 years doing this, you see it immediately just in his body language. I don't Mm -hmm. need to tell you anything. The information is being delivered to you by the shot itself because you've seen it so many times and now you're seeing all the differences in the shot. You're seeing how Dirk operates so much differently this cycle. You could almost call it a cheat. Yeah. But it's it's just a formula. It, but it works because it's mo- it works because it's a movie. It's mm-hmm. this is mo- you know we're talk- we love talking about movie movies. That's an effective movie movie thing. It is the marriage of sound and sight and performance and the repetition of those things that allow us to see the differences and thus the character development over the course of those differences. And it's a, it's a good way to cycle characters in and out yes. too. And it's uh one of the toughest things that if I I I'm very bad at writing dialogue. Yeah. And anytime that I've tried to write a scene, mm-hmm. it's always dialogue heavy and it's always exposition heavy. Mm-hmm. And that the circular shot that you're talking about is great because it shows how the actors can fix that. Not that the dialogue's bad. Right. But getting caught up in writing that dialogue yes. when so much of it is actually just in whose gaze are we following? Uh-huh. How are these people, you know, interact? Like there's a scene at the beginning when um Fuck, now, uh, Jack. Yes. When Jack Horner first invites Dirk back to his table mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, begins, you know, kind of selling him on it. Yeah. And as he's doing it to his right, uh, to uh, Jack, Dirk's right, Jack's left is Maggie. Yep. And she is staring down Dirk. Yep. Just like, I'm, I want to fuck you. But mm-hmm. she's selling it. Mm-hmm. She's like, you can have some of this. Mm-hmm. But then when it, uh, the camera kind of moves behind Dirk. Yep. We mask her face, and when it comes back to Jack talking, and we see it over Dirk's shoulder, she's now idolizing Jack. Yeah. And so uh, this movie is very uh, uh, structurally similar to Goodfellas. Yes. And at the very beginning, it's just that small little thing. We get the idea of, like, I could fall into this world. Yes. You're you're selling me on this. Mm-hmm. I would totally be into it. And if I was in as fucked a circumstance I was gonna say, as Dirk yeah. Diggler, it's that much easier. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of separate yourself from it. I mean, same with Goodfellas. You yep. know, if I if I was willing to check my morals a little bit, 
I could do this, but mm-hmm. I get why he's in it. Right. And by doing all of these ensemble scenes with the camera work, there's not very much by way of them describing, here's who I am, right. here's what I do, and here's what I want you to do, because you just get it. I, we talked about this when we were watching, and I think one of the best examples of it in this movie is one of uh, Maggie's early scenes. We keep referring to her as Maggie. That's not often how she's referred to in the she's movie. She's mostly mom. Yeah. <laughs> I, what, what even is her, her porn name? I, I, oh, oh uh, um, is it oh, Misty or... or um, Waves, amber waves, amber waves, amber waves, amber waves, amber waves of grain, like <laughs> Velveeta. Okay. Uh, so amber uh, is how she's often referred, mostly referred to throughout the movie. Uh, and when we meet her, she's amber. That's how Dirk is introduced to her. She's amber. She's amber. She's amber. And one of the early scenes with Amber is Amber doing cocaine and then making a phone call where we can only hear her side of it and saying she wants to talk to her son. She wants to talk to her son. She needs to talk to her son. She wants to talk to her son. And the phone call ends without her getting to talk to her son. A couple of scenes later, there's a big party at Jack's. Louise Guzman is standing next to Jack's phone when it rings. He picks it up and he says, Maggie? I don't think there's a Maggie here. And we don't, we've never heard the name Maggie in yeah, the movie yeah. before this. We've never heard the name Maggie before. And he says, no, I don't think there's a Maggie here. And then he says, oh, your mom. Oh, hold on. Let me see if I can find your mom. And immediately, for me, the gears started turning that has to be Amber. Must be Maggie. Yeah, yeah. But and even if it wasn't, I mean, and it is. It, yeah, it, is it does turn out to be. Yeah. Bef- before you even get there, you get this weird thematic moment where you're like, "Oh my God, all of these people are people." Yes. You know, all of them had something outside of this house party. Yes. It looks great. Yep. But but we've edited out all of these unfortunate truths, and it's like, oh, someone's. L- there's a kid trying to call his mom. Yes, exactly. You know, that, my mom calls me. <laughs> you know, yeah, like one of, to sidestep a little bit. One of my favorite things. I about, call my mom. <laughs> I love my mom. One of my favorite things about this movie is the way uh, Anderson always reminds us that there is tragedy and consequences to all of the decisions. Yes. Every time we get a joyous moment, it's quickly followed by something deeply problematic and troubling. Mm. Um, but, but back to uh, Amber and Maggie, we, we hear this name Maggie, and we don't know who Maggie is. We've never been introduced to Maggie. And immediately I start thinking, that's got to be Amber, right? And he's looking around. He's like, is there a Maggie here? Is there a Maggie here? And then he comes back to the phone. He says, I'm sorry, kid. There's no Maggie here. Hangs up the phone. Immediately the next shot is of Amber. The language of movies, yeah. I know that that is who that phone call was about. And now I know so much more about Maggie, her predicament, who she is, her background. And they did that all without having to give me any exposition. They didn't give you a single word. There was no exposition to do that. It was just the language of cinema and editing and using important images well. You know what I mean? It's just such a perfect marriage. There's this one shot in Me, Myself, and Irene that always makes me laugh. And it's it's a more extreme version of a subtle, a kind of subtle one that they do in Boogie Nights. And in it, uh, Jim Carrey, he's, uh, I forget what, what his Hank or whatever it yeah, is when Hank, he's bad. Yeah. He squats down to take a shit on his neighbor's lawn. Yeah. Smash cut to the close-up of a chocolate soft serve machine yeah. being the establishing shot for a next scene in yeah. an ice cream stand. Hilarious, gross, yeah. get you every time. They do this awesome shot of when Dirk has a fight with his mom, yeah. which we should definitely talk about his family life because they do something interesting there. He goes running out of the door. I'm going to make something. I got good things you don't yeah. know about. And he leaves, and it's almost this cheesy shot that zooms in oh, yeah. on this sad, ratty door and mm-hmm. his drunk mom who just hates him, mm-hmm. hates herself, hates her life behind mm-hmm. it. And she shuts the door. And then smash cut to this wonderful, beautiful door, and Jack Horner opens it up like, come on in. Cigar in his mouth, yep. big smile on his it's face, warm. so inviting. The color goes from this this just like beige palette of yeah. just grime to yeah. like, this is 
this is life. Yep. Come, come have a, a Reed Rothschild margarita, <laughs> my friend. But uh, I think we should talk about his family uh, life. Yeah. Because this is another thing where they don't tell us what's happening. Nope. He's got a mom mm-hmm. who is clearly disappointed by him, mm-hmm. is never far from a bottle of booze, yep. does her mom duties, she's making him breakfast. Clearly disappointed just in the way her life has turned yes. out. That's mostly the impression She's I taking get. care of this kid that she honestly thinks is stupid and in many ways kind of is. Right. And then he has this dad, and I would say her husband too, who's he seems to be... I don't want to say more at peace, but he's more reserved. He's almost afraid of her. He seems broken down to yeah, me. Yeah, he's broken. Like it's clear that that there is just some really heavy uh just abusive relationships all around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because he even goes up, uh he go- he reaches behind his wife to kiss mm-hmm. her and she's like, Don't do that, like right after yeah, you shave, yeah, it yeah, scratches yeah. me. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, sorry. And yeah. he's just trying to show affection. Yep. Um, and then later, he tries to ask Dirk about like his job. Yeah, and, yeah. and like he's clearly trying to connect with Dirk, but has no idea how. Can't do it. Well, almost doesn't have a chance because yeah. uh, th- there's this tension brewing between Dirk and his mom, yeah. or between Eddie and his mom. Yeah, I Eddie know. Adams we keep calling point. him Dirk, and he's well, not he's, Dirk. He's yet. Dirk. He's Dirk. Marky Mark. Yeah. Dirky Dirk in yeah. the in the, dir- in the Dirky bunch. <laughs> and um, no, but then later when she's having a fight with him, yeah, you go. This would be the perfect opportunity for the dad to say, "Hey, mm-hmm. both of you." Yeah. You, that's your mom. That's your kid. Fucking right. respect each other. But he's just up in his room silently just feeling shame about the whole situation. Yep. So we see this we see this this situation where he doesn't have maternal love. Yep. He's got a distant father. Yep. He's got these weird illusions of what it means to be a man. It's yeah. just Bruce Lee, titties, cars. Ameri- yeah. He has a yep. poster with a car on it that says American Dream. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't really have any good role models. No. So when Jack shows up, clearly sleazy, but he's got it together. And he also, he just so happens to recognize the only thing that Dirk thinks he has of value. Mm-hmm. The, as far as Dirk is concerned, the on, or as far as Eddie is concerned, the only value he has in this world is his penis. Mm-hmm. And, 13 inches. Goodness. Yeah. Goodness. And that's something that Jack recognizes right away. Yeah. So it's like... it. it I mean, it is sad, as a lot of this movie is and a lot of the characters are. A question for you, though. Yeah. What does Jack recognize about him? Because does he see his bulge? Has he heard around the streets that this is the kid that'll jack off in right. front of you for money? Because that, that is another thing, is that he's clearly making extra money by being, you know, I guess, a prostitute. Right. I See, and that's the thing I don't know. I, I Every time I've watched this, I've had a different idea about, does has Jack heard about him before this? Ha- you know, like Jack yeah, yeah. approaches him because he heard about him? Or does he just see a fresh-faced kid that he's like, you would look good at one of my movies, has that conversation with him, and that conversation I think goes right. Apart, I think it's, this kid is a fresh-faced kid, and he's obviously at the club where people hang out if they want to meet Jack Horner. Right. Because they do ask him plenty of times, like, you live, you live miles across away. Town. Why would you come here? Yeah. You can bar back anywhere. And he's like, well, I don't want to. Yeah. It's like, he's sort of... He's here for something. Yeah, like, he might kind of be chasing that, yeah. so it's this weird mutual kind of thing. Yeah. But lo and behold, he's the best porn star right. you can imagine. right. But it's, you know, it, it is this sad thing where it's like he, he doesn't have a good role model, so he doesn't value himself, doesn't know what his talents are, whether he doesn't even, I don't think he has any idea if he's smart or dumb or, you know what I mean? I think he has mm. very little self-recognition. The only thing he sees value in is his penis. And, a, and a, again, a guy that is, seems put together and a guy that has something to offer. Oh, he can tap into that talent. Also recognizes the one thing that Eddie thinks is important about himself, mm-hmm. it, which is... In in one way, sad that that is the only thing that Eddie thinks he has to offer of value, 
But on the other hand, you know, by the time you get to the end of the movie and the movie kind of becomes a little bit about like choosing your family and sort of building relationships with people and, you know, certain people re- well, using your talents. Y- yeah. I mean, it, it, this it, doesn't come down too hard on the idea that that porn is this awful no, thing. No, not at all. It, you know, it, it shows that it can be. Yeah. It shows that there's also sometimes it just can be art. And yeah. In in a weird way, even at the beginning, just the way Dirk treats his his co stars mm-hmm. is with this level of like respect. I guess yeah. is, is probably the word. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, so it doesn't have that judgment on it. So you don't go, oh man, kid, don't do it, don't do right. it. You almost feel like, well, you know, this is an opportunity. No, exactly. Yeah. Like so, because you get a that's great. It's it's kind of amazing he's able to br- illustrate it that way. Anderson is able to illustrate it mm. that way. But the, it, the reason it's, it, I mean, it's amazing that he's able to do it, but the reason it's so fascinating that it, that it works, the reason it works, <laughs> I was having trouble getting that out. It's all good. The reason <laughs> that that actually works uh, is because, like, that is Eddie's lens. You know, that is how Eddie sees it. Mm-hmm. He does see it as an opportunity. Like, we need to see it as an opportunity because that's how Eddie sees it. Mm-hmm. We need to be brought into that lens for the movie to work. We have to believe that, like, yeah, that is an opportunity. That does seem like an opportunity for Eddie. Mm-hmm. It's kind of amazing that he pulls that off because we do classically have this, you know, uh, Americans are kind of trained to, we all love porn, but we're not allowed to say that. We're, we're not allowed to talk it, yeah. about it. We need to, you know. Uh, so it's kind of amazing that he's able to pull that off and you just go like, yeah, I get it. I, I think a lot of that has to do in this, to, once again, to jump back to Goodfellas. Yeah. If you remember his home life in Goodfellas, he had a shitty dad yep. who beat him up over his grades. Yep. So, it, you know, you, you go, this might not be ideal, but at least, Certainly better at least than they treat him like a human. Exactly. You know? They value it's him. Like they value him. And yeah. it's that is dignity is such a hard thing to come by when you don't already have it. Mm-hmm. So the you know, anybody who's not crazy would jump at the chance to yeah. have it. And they really capture that here. Like yeah. he he's he's going into a business that that I don't frown upon, but no. but you know, the, you, you can't not feel a certain type of way about it. It's just mm-hmm. how we are. But he has this dignity to it. Yeah. You know, he can he can be somebody. Well, and it's it's walking this amazing line of, you know, on one hand, it is sad that that's the only value he sees in himself. We should hopefully all see a little more value in ourselves than just our whatever, our sexual nature, however you want to mm. call that. Um, but on the other hand, they do see value in him. And they do value him. And they treat him... As if he is valuable, mm-hmm. and that's a meaningful thing for a person to feel Absolutely. to be treated that way. Uh, and so it walks this kind of amazing line of like, sure, you might think this looks strange, but what's wrong with this, really? Yeah. Who are we hurting? Yeah, and ultimately they're just hurting themselves. Uh, th- yes, when it, exactly. When it, you know when it all gets. Yeah. Uh, you know when it all uh, snowballs into <laughs> snowballs <laughs> into <laughs> the eighties. <80s>. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, I do like that the movie sort of introduces cocaine like pretty immediately, mm-hmm. but it's this there's this idea in 77 and 78 where it's like, yeah, we do a little cocaine and it oh, but it's mostly we just like, like to get fucked up yeah, sometimes. Yeah, like yeah. we're just it's a party, it's fun, it's family. And then as you move into the 80s, it's like, well, no, we do cocaine and then we decide if we're family or not. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like it which is such an they interesting They literally do in that one scene. Yeah. Well, there is one thing that they do in the 70s, which is funny in how they frame it, yeah. is they do this tragic scene that mm-hmm. is one of the funniest in the movie, and it's when uh, 
uh, what's his name? The Colonel. Yeah. Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. When the Colonel shows up, he's got this new young actress with yes. him. First thing she says oh, at right. the party is, "Do you?" Get, uh, she's like, "Hi, nice to meet you. Do you have any cocaine at this party?" Yeah. And he's like, "Honey, I got. All, what do you want? Yeah. I, I give you all the cocaine." And she goes off into the other room. Yep. And cut to, you know, five minutes later, she's bleeding out the nose. And there's just the dude who was doing crazy amounts of coke is holding her across the, yeah. across his lap. And he's like, oh, man, this is the second time a bitch has OD'd on me in two, two days, days, which oh is my God. terrifying. I know. And it's so, it's funny. so funny. And the colonel goes, well, then you think maybe you'd start thinking about getting some new shit. Right. Huh? Not, not don't stop. stop. Yeah. Not don't give this woman that I just hired, yeah. you know, as much cocaine as she yeah. wants. Get better cocaine, Get you better idiot. better cocaine, you idiot. <laughs> Clean it up. Let's go talk business. Yeah. There's no comeuppance for no. that guy. And where it's, uh, where it's not the 80s yet, we're still in that lens of like, well, you know, that's just one of the byproducts Whoops. of this. Yeah. But it's not all bad, you right? Because they do take they they get her to a hospital. Mm-hmm. They throw her in front of a hospital, but they get her to a hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they clean it up. They make sure everything's done with as much class as possible <laughs> before you can actually get into legal trouble. <laughs> you know, and it, so it's not classy, but yeah. you know, like they yeah. try and do it the way that's like we do have to get her to a hospital. Yeah, yeah. We do have to go there. Yeah. Make sure nobody sees the license right. plate. You know, and let's go talk about about doing business. Well, it's interesting because it's this. You know, the the first hour plays with this notion that like because they are a family, you know, quote unquote, because they are this sort of like chosen family together, uh, and they're sort of like having a good time and enjoying themselves and they're they're making these movies and they're having a good time making the movies and the movies are making them money it just it has this kind of feel good feeling but again what i do really like is anderson does not ever let us forget that there are consequences for it. sure this is fun and it's entertaining and it's not so bad to be hanging out and doing this but people might od and and people might also not handle that as well as they should. Mm-hmm. I like that those reminders are there because then when we get to the 80s, it actually becomes more disgusting yeah. that it's gotten so much worse because it's like, listen, it wasn't even like necessarily good in the 70s. You know what I mean? It's like, it was better for sure. Like that, But there was... These consequences were already here. It, it just got blown out of... Propo- it got like mm-hmm. worse and it really drives well, it home how bad the idea too that like... We're not putting limits on what you do. Right. It is on you not to fuck up. Right. We'll clean up after you right. to save our own skin, but you know, don't fuck up. This guy fucked up. Yeah. yeah. And so there it sets up the idea that like, yeah, things can happen yeah. because nobody's really there to keep it in check. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. This world of like consequences when there's no supervision, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, if only they had Robert De Niro from Goodfellas to just yeah. be like, "What are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? What's yeah. the matter with you?" Yeah. That would fix everything. Yeah. Fix so much. <laughs> I was I was just thinking I was trying to figure out who uh, the uh, Joe Pesci character would be, and I realized immediately it's Alfred Molina. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think the Joe Pesci character in some type of way would be Tom Jane. Tom Jane, yeah, yeah you're right. Because yeah. he's, he's the wild card. Yeah, you yeah. just you don't know what he's going to do. Yeah. Although I would like immediately when he shows up, you're just like, don't. Don't get near him. Don't hang out with Pesci, this guy. It's like, I guess you'd be around him. Yeah, yeah. Even though he's much worse yeah. now that I think about it. But uh, one of the things that I love about Dirk Diggler is that he is, he really is the diamond in the rough. Mm-hmm. Because he didn't just find 
this this beautiful world that appreciates his talents. Right. This world really found, found him. Like he he is that good. Mm-hmm. Um, right off the bat, uh, one of the first pieces of information that uh, Jack gets from him when he's interviewing him in the back of the restaurant. Yeah. He's he's not even interviewing him. He's having a conversation, but he's interviewing. Yeah. He's like, uh, you know, he gets the the prices about him jacking off in front of people, and he's like, "You already do this today?" Yeah. He's like, "Yeah, I did it. Uh, you know, a couple of times. You want me to do it again?" No, 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 no. Yeah. So he's got like this kid can perform. Yeah. He's got a demand, and he's not above you know selling himself. Right. So if I butter him up, he's in. Then when he comes in, you know, the one of the first things he does, and I thought this is great, is they, you know, they say, okay, you're going to fuck her and do this and that. And the first thing he's like, so I'm going to fuck you? Is that okay with you? Yeah. Which is like unheard of. Yes. Like in the porn industry, but it endears him to the world. Like this guy's actually kind of a professional. Oh, look, a pro. Now we call it, you know, just being human and y- giving yes. people, yeah. you know, their agency about things. But he's he's a professional about that. Right. You know, like it, it. it's just suddenly this new idea like, oh, he just classed up the joint a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, he's got his lines. Uh-huh. And after, you know, every great character moment when he first fucks Amber, mm-hmm. she's like, come inside me, which yeah. is against all rules of porn. Mm-hmm. But the scene's so good yeah. that everybody's just floored by it. Yeah. And then when he says, hey, you know, when William H. Macy's like, hey, you know, when we Carl Undergaard is like, hey, we didn't get the cum shot. shot. He's like, don't worry about it. He's like, uh, he goes, uh, you know, we, we can use stock footage or whatever. Right, he's like, right. what are you talking about? You're not going to recreate that. Yeah. And he immediately is just like, Jack, I can go again if you want. Mm-hmm. And he's got that skill, too. He can just yep. pop a load off if he needs to. Yep. So they found this guy who's just perfect. perfect. He can be crafted yeah. into this per- into a Dirk Diggler. This is what he was made for. Yep. Yeah. And and everybody, too. One of the, the best things to watch is each character gravitates to him in a certain oh, yeah. way. The big boss just says, hey, can I see your cock? Boom, pulls it out. Yeah. That's nice. I'm very excited to get a scene with you. Yeah. Um, all of the women start to... A little bit later, they start to kind of get jealous of his attention, mm-hmm. but it's all just, ooh, when am I going to do a scene yeah. with him? Reed Rothschild shows up, and he's he's buddies with him, but he's kind of, you know, I realize this guy's better than me, but yeah. he's, I know I'm now the sidekick, yeah. but he, he goes into that right away. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, he just, he in absolutely is in love with this guy, but he just needs to be near him. Yeah. He's this magnetic, uh, uh, just gravitational force. Yeah. But you buy it. Like, yeah. He, and... and his character responds in a way that if you get told you're the best all the time and the world shows you're the best all the time, you're going to feel it. And the best is watching his character go from naive, like, oh, I'm great. This yep. is great. To like, I've, I am the best. Right. You know? And that is, that is a, a huge issue for all artists is don't let ego, it, you know, get you there. It, the, I mean, it, you literally, you start with, oh, I have cachet here. Mm-hmm. Cool. And it turns into, I have cachet here. Yeah. I run this place. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when he faces off with Jack. Oh, it's so good. It, it, the perform. I mean... Burt Reynolds just Burt Reynolds kills is in-fucking-credible in this movie. Was, I don't think he won. I know he was nominated for yeah, Best I uh, Yeah. I wonder who won that year. Is this 96? This is 98. 98. So nominated for Best Supporting Actor and Actress for Burt Reynolds and Julia Moore, respectively. Yeah. Nominated for Best uh, Screenplay, PTA. Yeah. Um, that's it for Academy Awards, but yeah. Golden Globe for Birdie Boy. Hey, yeah. So there you go. That's uh, yeah. I mean, the performances across the board in this are like really, really strong. But uh, those two actually do stand out to me. I I, I think like heads and shoulders above. Oh, yeah. the, the cast. It's a- actually probably the best Burt Reynolds scene in the movie. Is like one of the hardest scenes to watch when he's at prison visiting the oh. colonel. That is brutal. Reynolds is in incredible in yeah. that scene. His face, to, I mean, 
that's actually the colonel. He was I, also. I know, and I don't a, know that a, actor's a name. Character to play. I know. Um, but the thing that I, I it's something that PTA, I, I was really paying attention to in this watch. He uses reaction shots to tell you more information than dialogue. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like that's, and that's part of why the performances are so incredible too. Like a lot of that scene at the prison, what is so, what brings so much gravity to that scene is watching Burt Reynolds react to what he's being told. Mm -hmm. That's where like all the drama in that scene is for me. And like the way they sell us on, cause we don't see Dirk's stick until the last shot of the movie. The way they sell us on, oh, that is truly an impressive dick, is reaction shots. Yep. We literally watch every single character react to the sight of his dick. And one of the things we were laughing about is the way each character reacts to the sight of his dick tells us so much about each of those people and how they feel about their position in that industry and what they do and how uh, uh, good it is to have a young guy with a big dick there, like how promising that is for them. Oh, yeah. We learn so much about oh, each character. There's a tragic and comic scene involving Philip Seymour Hoffman's character because they do a, a shot when he first pulls his dick out of his pants. They go around, yep. you know, the thing in uh, uh, Ricky Jay leans out from behind the camera like, holy shit. Yep. You know, everybody kind of goes speechless. And uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's the boom mic operator. Yeah. So he's got arms above his head. <laughs> and you can tell he is just like he is he's literally so shaking. hard not to blow a load in his yeah. pants. And when you, when you see how his character kind of just is a is pathetic, yeah, it's it's sad. But in that moment, before we really know that, it is hilarious. Yeah. That's that's a very tough line to walk. Kudos to both. Uh, I like to call him. It's Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's his initials, yeah. but every time you see him act, you're like, <laughs> uh, him and uh, you know, and and PTA. Well, it's a great marriage of, of talent there. Uh, I think my favorite psh moment is uh, when he's walking Dirk to set before they shoot mm -hmm. that first scene. Oh, well, that's a repetition of yes. the inside of the house. Yep. Because we follow that maze through the house a couple times, but mm -hmm. that's the only time that it's long, awkward, and there's just so many. It's not smooth. There's so many twists he, and turns. Yes. Yeah. And the way he is just tonguing that pen <laughs> yeah. as he's trying to make small talk with he's Dirk. He's trying to be so cool, and he can't do oh, it. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's guy. so funny. Holy <laughs> shit. That's back to when Dirk's still like feeling nice. Yeah. That's what the, Dirk is so charming because... Yes. Uh, I've met a lot of people who have been my favorite people who are just kind of, uh, they remind me of puppies. Because <laughs> I, I don't want to say that they're dumb, but yeah. like socially they're just like, yeah, okay, let's <laughs> do it. Oh, yeah, oh, you know, I'll, I'll listen to what you have to say. That's great. That's, you know, I love your car. It's yeah. awesome. You know, yeah. it's just not even being a yes man, being just earnestly open. Uh -huh. And he is the one character that Dirk struggles with that. Right. He's so easy and open with everybody and so nice and so kind and just... You know, he offers that dignity to everybody else yes. almost immediately. But poor, psh, it's just like, oh. You, and, and I've met people like that oh, too. Oh, you where get I'm like, it. Yeah. I like you. You're so good. Yeah. You're so nice. There's nothing bad about you. Yeah. But shut the fuck up and go away yeah. from me forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, it's the worst. And he, and <laughs> oh man, I just realized how sad it is that he hangs around for the whole movie. Yep. He's like one of the only characters that sticks around. He's so in he love with really Dirk. He doesn't really have an arc. Around. He yeah. just kind of hangs out and does yeah. sound. I, you know, uh, to be honest with you, I literally thought that that character killed himself. Yeah. My memory it of this movie like yeah. is that he gets so embarrassed with himself 
when he kisses Dirk in that one scene. Mm. That I, I think I must just be conflating William H Macy's plot line with yeah. his. But uh, yeah, I always think of that character. The same as, level of of pathetic. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, you just yeah. Feel ugh. yeah. Well, oh, speaking of repetition and how well it works, oh, yeah. William H. Macy has the great repetition where every time he sees his wife getting fucked by another man, the first thing he says is, what the fuck is going on here? And he does that three, two times, I think. He does it twice, once when they're all circled around her before the ass in my cock line. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, once earlier than that, actually, once when earlier. he catches well, her in the bedroom. Yeah, he goes yeah. into the bedroom, she's there. and so then But it, all the dudes are always incredulous, yeah. like, yeah, whatever. And he goes, that's my wife. Yes. <laughs> Every time. And we get that repetition. Both times we see that happen, it's the exact same lines. It's, mm. what the fuck is going on here? That's my wife. The third time it happens, there is no dialogue. We know, again, it's just the language that's no exposition, we know there's a change. Something is different this time. He didn't repeat that process. He did without saying it. Right. Because he walked in, he had the look of, what the fuck's going on here? Right. I can't believe it. That's my wife. Right. We can assume, because we don't see them, that they both give him the look like, yeah, get the fuck out of here, dude. Yeah. You're like, you I actually here? don't know that they even know that he's there. It's such a yeah, quiet yeah. moment where he opens the door, he just stares quietly and turns back around and walks if out. If they saw him, you right. know that's what happens. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But I love that, like... You're right, those things do happen, but non-verbally, but because they don't happen verbally, we know as an audience, because of that repetition that happened before, and now it's not here, this is different. Something is different here. I love that. That is such, that is like crazy show don't tell filmmaking. Mm -hmm. That is crazy. (laughs) He does it a few times, Um, and even that, he repeats the path through the house. Yes. Because they do the same thing where he goes, now it's smoother this time, because it's not... Uh, so deep. Well, set now it's in. methodical. Yes, it's methodical, yeah. and but we get this awesome pastiche of all these different settings. Now we just went out to the car yep. where, uh, you know, with Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, yep. we just went into the main room where they're counting down from ten, yep. and uh, we know the inside of the house now. So we yep. get to watch him walk into that room, walk out of the room, walk back in, and it's the same. It's the same path, and it's just a little bit different. This a little time, bit. He different. blows his brains out. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy. God damn it. That and is that face he makes right before he does it, too. Oh, he it's smiles. Like, yeah. Because he feels good about what he did. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I'm going to end the 70s on a good note. Yeah. I don't need Jesus. the 80s. Yeah. God, it's... This movie is like... I was saying this right after we got done watching it. In my memory, it's always like, that's a great movie in like a cheerful way. Like, it's mm-hmm. a, it's got such great scenes, and I remember the it's parties, and it's fun, and it's... And then, and then you watch it, and it's so brutal. And it's kind of a magical thing that he's able to pull that off, that like, it, he... Starts in such like kind of a positive place and ends in such a kind of positive place that overall my feeling about the movie is kind of positive and mm-hmm. it's a kind of positive experience even though it's not actually oh the middle act is is so harrowing it's, it's, it can be but it's still very funny oh yeah my favorite scene in the whole movie which we'll get to in a little bit yeah. I want to talk somewhere it's but it's very intense one of yeah. the most intense ever and it's one of the funniest it's things so I've ever funny seen in my yeah life. I know what you mean yeah it's uh but it it goes uh. Excuse me. It goes like that throughout the whole movie, where it it never stops being an entertainment to get through and and show off. It's the same. Uh, I think I said this earlier. Paul Thomas Anderson's showing off. He's being flashy, but he's not being gaudy about it. He's not throwing it in your face that I'm using all of this crazy technique. But at the same time, he is using crazily polished technique to get everything done. We talked about the opening sequence where they go into the Hot Tracks nightclub where we get our glimpse of every character. And just about every segment of the movie ends up being an expansion of that shot. Because when we go into that, 
we see a few things. One, we see Louis Guzman really wants to be in a movie. Oh no, but God. we get each character's different story. Yes. We also get that there is like a special table, sort of an mm. inner circle. Mm-hmm. And we watch as this this inner circle throughout the whole movie expands and contracts and brings people in and pushes people out Yeah, uh, throughout the entire movie. And so that opening shot is super important because it establishes the style and the tone, but it introduces essentially the format of the entire film yeah well especially because you know and we see it small and big with scenes that do go through the ensemble and and you know those little circles that repeat things Absolutely. and change each time yeah but the whole movie does that where you could arguably call boogie nights a montage because mm-hmm. we are just checking in it's it's very clear why he went on to do magnolia mm-hmm. because it was oh i can actually just check in with each character yep and visually connect them without necessarily thematically connecting them, right. and it'll all come together. Yeah, it is kind of. I mean, I was thinking that as we were watching it. Like, there's even a point in the movie where we are watching a long tracking shot to a song, and when we get to the end of that tracking shot, just another song starts playing, mm-hmm. and we start another tracking shot. It, it's like that much of a quote unquote montage. You know, a movie that's entirely a montage that it's it's literally just moving from track to track and tracking shot to tracking shot. Um, but the fact that essentially just this culmination of details, this culmination of scenes actually amounts to this like very kind of like meaningful moving piece of art is really impressive and, you know, is one of the things that we sort of started the show talking about this idea of like, that is like, that is movie movie. That is like real filmmaking that is using every piece of art that's available to you in movies, sound, you know, performance, visuals, to actually, like, get at something you might not be able to if you were in any one of those individual yeah. mediums, you know? It's the culmination of those details. So then we can go to macro, macro and granular again. So then you go down to this granular mm. level of we just have all of these little scenes and we just put them next to each other and we connect them through editing and we kind of let the audience build the story with their brand you know what i mean we mm-hmm. let them build it themselves through the repetition of images basically one of the things that that i noticed this time around after having seen this hundred times yeah. is that we actually don't get very much of dirk becoming uh what's the word uh distance from jack right no all we get is during that documentary that amber makes yep is just that one scene that where one he's scene. like, oh, he lets me block my yeah. own sex scenes. And he's like, ah, I don't let him block, he, his, he own block his own sex scenes. The next time they meet is when they actually they fight. literally throw down. Yeah. But You're that right. doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like that came out of nowhere. No, yeah. And it's just because that came in the middle of a repetition and that was one of the switches that, yeah. fl- that, that flicked. Yeah, that's so true. Well, and you know, he get you could call it a cheat if you want, but he, you know, the nature of it being kind of montage like, also having the title cards of years going by mm-hmm. just makes it so easy to then the next time we see Dirk, he can be acting differently than he was before. And we're like, yep, okay, we got oh, it. Yeah. Yep. It's, and I, I said this to you when we were watching the movie, it has two soundtracks. Mm-hmm. There are two discs to the Boogie Nights soundtrack because there's two and a half hours of almost constant, constant. Uh, you know, radio hit music. Yep. I remember back in the day, I read an interview with one of the guys from Leonard Skinnerd, mm-hmm. and they asked him, uh, you know, I forget what the question was, but he said one of the coolest moments was hearing one of our songs in Forrest Gump. And he said, in that movie, our song basically said, this is the era we're in. Mm. He said, that's amazing to me that a movie told me that 
this song that I wrote that was just a song is actually sort of thematic for an era. Yeah, it like defines some period of time in some way. Exactly, and every song in this really does do that. And oh, as we yeah. progress from the 70s to the 80s, the music styles could not be more different. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the music of the 80s definitely came from disco, but mm-hmm. if you put them next to each other, it doesn't really fit. Right. But having these... I, I would love to actually isolate all of the songs in order because mm-hmm. I bet you could listen to it and go straight from... I forget what the first song is. No, you know, whatever, whatever is. Uh, Knowing PTA, those songs are chronological. Oh, probably like by almost, release. I, I, I would, would guarantee bet. it. Yeah, but by the time you know, we literally get from you know the the nightclub music spinning discs to a tape switching sides from yep. Percy Sledge to Rick Springfield. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that that's a big thematic you know moment of yeah. of time passing. It ends with uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Brian Wilson. God only knows uh-huh. the, the Beach yep. Boys song, mm-hmm. and. Whereas that I think came out before then. That I think that might be part of how he's sort of like oh brings it back exactly because yeah. that last sequence is almost like a bookend where we're sort of kind of repeating the initial sequence, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably why you get that that particular song at the mm-hmm. end to recall the previous era. That's a smart song too because yeah. if you know uh, Brian Wilson's story, he's somebody that had everything, went through some some difficult shit mm-hmm. and ultimately came out on top yeah and that song is is quite indicative of that i think it, yeah. it's not about that but it's inseparable from that yeah i think that was a smart move yeah i um i kind of want to jump to this just because my brain just thought of it one, one of my favorite things about this movie and i kind of forget that it happens every time is is towards the end when you know dirk has finally it's after the scene that we want to talk about dirk has finally completely reaches rock bottom and he shows up at Jack's and just says, I need help. Mm. I, this sounds weird, but like that is something that does not happen enough in media. Mm-hmm. Characters don't say, I need help enough. Oh, yeah, they fight through it. They, they do it. They succeed on yeah. their own or they don't. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like that, that's an important thing, especially since you know he's also coming off of clearly like drug addiction and things like that. So especially for addicts and stuff like that, the admission that you need help is such an important thing. And I feel like I don't see that enough in, especially protagonists, like heroes, like oh, you're yeah. saying, they're always, it's perseverance and prevail. And you know, you'll get through by the skin we of your might teeth. get a, hey, I couldn't have done it without you. But right. we never get a, I need help. Yeah. But that I think represents an arc for Dirk. Because yes. when, when we start off the movie, he begins with, I'm going to make it. I've got this talent. I'm going to do it. I'll do whatever it takes. I don't takes. need your help. I don't need your help. He gets help, doesn't realize it. Yeah. Thinks that it's just him doing it. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's, I don't want to broaden it by saying that's that's a capitalist mindset, but it right. sort of is, where it's like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get to the top. And there's a very fine line between getting help and stepping on people. Yeah. Because you are getting help from others. Yep. But it is impossible to climb the mountain alone. It's just yeah. not going to happen. And he doesn't realize that until after he's hit rock mm-hmm. bottom. So when he says, I need help, that's that's a completion of his arc. That's like, this is a guy who went from selfish and had nothing to, you know, no longer selfish and needs everything. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's big. Yeah. I, fuck it, I really love that moment in this yeah. movie. I feel like it's such an under... And we just don't see that scene enough. Mm. We don't want to see that scene. No. Which is weird because I think that's one of the... Every job I've ever started, mm-hmm. one of the things that they always say is, don't be afraid to ask questions. Yep. And I never fucking listen. Because <laughs> uh, we're just... We feel bad about yeah. not knowing. Yep. Um, one of the most freeing things you can ever say is, I don't know, but I'm willing to learn. Yeah. You know, like That is... 
but but I I need help. I yeah. need your help, and we we don't value that. We sh- we see that as a sign of weakness when it it is so much the opposite. Exactly, yeah. and, and that's one of the things that I mean. I don't think that moment is what this movie is about. Mm-mm. But when I watch this movie, that's the moment that like really for me personally like really resonates with me. Absolutely. I don't think it's what the movie is about, but. Like it's I don't total know. ego loss. Yeah, and we are so uncomfortable with doing that that it doesn't manifest in our media that often. Yeah, exactly. I can't think of another example. I'll yeah, and way. like I wonder how important that scene is to PTA. Like I'm, I would mm. be very curious to know how significant that scene is, to, or if that is just like, well, this is the logical thing that he would have to do in the course of this story. And it just so happens that that is a, a great. I don't think you thing. can divorce PTA from yeah, his themes. That, he, yeah, um, he actually said what this movie was about, and I forget. I mean, he was 27 when he made it. I know he was so fucking. He was obviously young. had a foot into show business. His yeah. dad was like a famous like horror TV yeah, presenter something kind of like thing, that, something yeah. like that. But I, I remember what he said about Magnolia. He said that was the movie I wrote when my dad died. Mm. You know, that's what that's about mm-hmm. is my dad dying. Now it's about a lot of things, mm-hmm. but that was what spawned it. Mm-hmm. So I, I imagine that there's something. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know. Well, could could you take a guess? Even. I, well, that's I don't know because again, for me, it's like. I don't know. Maybe I don't even think that scene is what this movie is about for me. It's just what resonates with me. Oh the yeah, most well, I mean the that movie. is a harsh truth. Yeah. If I could, I'll, I'll venture a guess myself. Um, one of the things that that flabbergasted me when I listened to the WTF yeah. interview with PTA <laughs> <laughs> on CBS. No, it was, a, <laughs> it was on a podcast app. But uh, he was just normal. Yeah. He didn't seem to have an ego. No. And even Marin commented on it. He was like, I thought you were going to be like this. Like, oh, I'm a artsy, weird artist. Artsy, yeah. No, he just has kids. He was yeah. smoking cigarettes yeah. throughout the whole thing. Just kind of just a regular dude whose job happens to be telling these stories. So I imagine this is a guy who had every opportunity to be an egotist. Yeah. To have an ego and to be able to understand the value of of checking one's ego. Yeah is something that would be needed to make a moment like that in Boogie yeah, Nights. Yeah, you're probably right. So I, I think there's got to be some truth there. there yeah. I mean, for a guy who has made nothing but, in my estimation, nothing but masterpieces yeah. front to back, that 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 would give me... I would make half a masterpiece be like, what would you ever do? Yeah. Ah! I just yeah. did the jack-off motion. <laughs> he didn't seem to have any of that. No. So I imagine, you know, he's... I wrote in my review for A Monster Calls, the kid's performance. I was like, it broke my heart because the only way this kid could deal with grief like this is if everyone in real life that he loved died. <laughs> I can't believe that 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 kid can act that well. Yeah. But I think there's got to be some truth there, you know? Yeah, yeah. That, oh, man. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I mean, like I said, for me, the movie has always felt like it is... Um, him kind of exploring this cultural shift from the 70s to the 80s mm-hmm. through porn. That's always kind of how I've read the movie, but I do think that there's there's so many layers to it. There's a lot more going on than like just mm-hmm. that, you know. That that's that even feels surface level to me to well, say. Well, here's a thematic thing to talk yeah. about. Buck Swope. Yes. Don Cheadle's character. Yes. Um, he is a man concerned with image. Mm-hmm. He wants to be the cowboy. Yep. Nah, cowboy's not working. Not he working. wants to be uh, Egyptian. Uh, I guess no. That was that was Rick James. Oh, that's right. That yes, was, uh, Rick James, Ike Turner style yeah. look that he that he wanted. To, I think that was more Ike Turner. Um, you know, he he went for that one, pulled the wig off, couldn't do it. He's always looking for image, and he is the one guy who does not get involved in the drugs. Right. We actually never even see him act. We just see you know we know that he performs in mm-hmm. porn. We know that he's uh, he's trying to flirt with the with the uh, the woman of color. I forget her name. Oh. Can't can't quite grab it with her. Yeah, you know, like he he's trying to find this image, trying to find himself, and he's just working hard and just being good. Mm-hmm. And when he eventually tries to get a loan from the bank, 
to uh, you know open up Buck's uh, uh, high fidelity super super stereo. super stereo store, super stereo world. The one thing he can't shed is the image that he's accidentally cultivated. Where they're like, we can't give it to you because you're associated. We can't with do business with porn. pornographers. And then if I, this could be be just me projecting current world tensions with it. Mm-hmm. One of the difficult things for him is like he he's the guy who does not fuck up. Yeah, and the only thing. That gets him ahead is pure chance, yep. and I wonder if that's a comment on the fact that like he's a black guy. I, you know, it's uh, it's so much more difficult with that hindrance that shouldn't be a hindrance. Every time he works so fucking hard, dude. I I actually agree with you. I I really do think that that is something that's going on in that scene. Absolutely, uh, and especially because every time I watch the bank scene where he's trying to get the loan. Oh, the fact that this he's is, in an interracial relationship does not help his cause there it either. It doesn't help his cause, and uh, I think this every time I watch that scene, and, and this could be me bringing my own like cultural biases to it or whatever, but whenever I see that scene, what I like, I imagine Amber Waves coming in there and asking for the same bank loan oh, yeah. and getting it. Yeah, absolutely. Because she's not black. Mm-hmm. I read that as him using the pornography excuse to not have to say, oh, yeah. we're not going to do business with a black man. Yeah. Oh, That's absolutely. how I read that. I don't, that could we be don't, me We don't bringing... trust you to make a successful right. business is, is almost, and, you know, it could be argued whether they denied him solely for that or right. not. Right. But it, it didn't help. Right, exactly. His yes. skin color did not help yeah. his situation. And the, he, the, you know, like, the fact that he's got a young white wife, that still rubs dudes the wrong way, yep. which is crazy. It, yes. And, you know, this, this guy... I Like, I get the impression that that banker, whatever that position is called... I know it's not a banker, but, but you know, the loan yeah, officer. Like a loan broker, yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, he, like was thankful to have the excuse that he was a pornographer. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was, it was something to hide behind. He would have had to get into some numbers. Yeah. And that oh, that was one of the most heartbreaking things is when he was like, if I miss something on those sheets, let me know. I'll sign it. What do you need me to write on that? I will, I will I'll write do it right it. I'll now. write on it. Yeah. yeah. It's, and that's the one, the one time we see him lose his cool. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy about it is that it's understandable. Oh, yeah. But I can imagine a million people in that bank looking over there and be like, some brother yep. got a bad attitude. Yep. And it's like, no, he got a bad deal. Yeah. It's it's brutal. All these other people sort of, uh, they they have the luxury of being able to have a Coke-fueled 80s right. without it. And this guy literally doing everything he can by the books. They can literally above the table. almost kill a teenager. Yeah. And no problem. Not a big deal. Keep partying. Yeah. he But he can't even get close to it. Can't do it's, it. Like he's it, clean the entire time. He and, never fucks up. And I really think, like you're right. That scene where, um, you know, the shootout happens in in the donut shop, uh, and that bag of money is there, and he grabs it and walks out. I really do read that as commentary. I'm like, that is the only way for the black man to get ahead in America. Uh, a robbery, but, but like, but well, like by chance, it's not even his robbery. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. Like, it took something seedy and yep. awful. To break the ceiling. Yeah. Or or also, like, to, really what I was saying is more the idea that, like, it literally doesn't matter what he does. If he gets ahead, it will have nothing to do with him. It yeah. doesn't matter how hard he worked, how clean he was. It will be totally by fucking chance. It will be an accident that that black man succeeded. Yep. Uh, that I, That's kind of how I read that. I, agree uh, with uh, you. I, I think, think 100%. That, that's what's going on there. And even in that scene, too, when the fucking guy reading the guns and ammo mag pulls out his gun he's like don't do that don't do that don't 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 and like when you pull the lens back that's the best thing that ever happened to him Uh uh-huh and even then he's just don't do it don't do it oh i i I hate it i hate it great scene yeah no it is because it's such a 
you know, it's one of those really powerful. It, okay, it's this. We're two fucking white dudes sitting here talking mm. about the black man's plight in America. The fact that a scene in a movie can so bring us into that, oh, yeah. like the. Again, this and is a, not even this is a movie where surface it's, level about it's that. not telling us that yeah. it is not telling us that that's what's happening. But you and I are directly reading that off of that scene. That's pretty. I don't know. To me, that's pretty impressive, and that's a really interesting thing to decide to do in your movie. That's not about that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's it, it, or uh, if we uh, if we want to well, pull back truth on to that character, though. Yeah, it really comes down to the characters. His character couldn't just be, oh, he's the black guy on the porn set. Right. Can't be that. Right. And so out of out of this rich character that Cheadle performs and that mm-hmm. Anderson wrote, it, you can't help but have those themes come out. You know, and, and I don't think we're just projecting on it. I, mean, I don't of think course so we either. are in some way, but yeah. you know, I, I don't think that no, it's No, I think it's, that's it's supposed there. to be there. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think that it's also, if we want to go back to, you know, my reading of the movie, that's why that would be there. My voice keeps cracking, and I don't know what's going it's on. It's all good. Uh, like... That's why that would be there. If this is meant to be a representation of just American culture in the 70s and 80s, there's a piece of American culture that needs to be addressed Mm -hmm. where the black man stood in the 70s and 80s in American culture. Couldn't get a a loan to open a business. Right, yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty interesting. I don't know. It's, It's fascinating to me that he's able to, like, capture so much of that in one movie i mean took him two and a half hours but it's impressive but i mean how much screen time does don Cheadle have Uh, hardly 15 minutes of it it belongs to him yeah and and he's one of the most memorable characters to me like yeah god that's a great performance it's a great performance he's so earnest yep that's the that's the thing that bugs me about it so much is that He's the only one who doesn't fuck up yep. and always works hard. Yep. He's a goddamn professional from yep. the beginning to end, and it's just not enough. Yep. The Won't only way enough. he's going to get ahead is by accident. Yep. Uh. And he's probably got a big dick, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, do you want to talk about the uh, the Alfred Molina scene? Are um, you actually, ready wanna, to dive? I into my notes. Okay. There was, there was a couple things. Dig, dig on this a little more? First off, yeah. I love Reed Rothschild. <laughs> yes. That is John C. Riley. Yes. And it's John C. Riley doing what John C. Riley does best, which he's an incredible actor. But there is a flavor to what he does that yeah. is unlike anybody else. It's it's. If you want to be impressed by both him, who you should be impressed by anyway, but also Mark Wahlberg, who, oh, yeah. who some people don't find impressive, and I can understand why, but has been very good in some movies, this one included for sure. I think it's his best role. There's that one, and it's a long take, when they first meet and John C. Riley is making that drink. Yeah. That is so funny, and such a bravo- like both of them are really giving like oh, bravado yeah. performances, They're and it goes fun. on and on and on. Well, he does a couple of funny things in that, too. When he starts, he's like, oh, you ever been a... Uh- He's like, oh, you know, oh, where do you work out? He's like, oh, I work out. And well, he's like, oh, I worked. Uh, he's like, oh, it, I guess not at this gym. Yeah, uh, if you worked there, I, I would have seen you there. I, yeah. I'm pretty much there every day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how much do you squat? Uh, two, you know, two hundred. And he's yeah. like, oh. Yeah, yeah. Hits before he can even ask. Yeah. And then they do the how much do you bench? And neither of them want to. Go. You go first. Yeah. I ask you first. Yeah. All right, same time. One, two, three. You didn't say anything. You didn't say anything. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, but it's this it's this great like posturing scene. Yes. But it also it, it's it's made light and funny by the fact that there's just these two dopes. Yeah. I, I think that John C. Riley, to me, he's like a Michael Keaton. Yes. Where he is a really tremendous actor. Mm-hmm. But if you need him to, you know, to get in a fist fight in a front yard with Will <laughs> Will Ferrell, yeah. it's gonna happen. You know, yeah. he can do that too. Yeah. 
he does really put on this good tragic character here and oh, we yeah. get a little bit of of what he wants too. He wants mm-hmm. to be a magician. Yeah. Oh, great sequence too when he, he shows a card trick to yeah. Buck Swope and uh Buck Buck's Swope. like, doesn't that make you nervous? Uh experimenting with, the, with dark forces with dark forces he's like what are you talking about it's an illusion it's he an goes illusion. yeah it is confusing <laughs> yeah, it's confusing <laughs> oh that is yeah oh uh okay you know what i'll say whenever david blaine goes deep into the hood to do magic yeah. the show gets better <laughs> it just gets better and i i feel like there's a little bit of that there too and which is very funny black people receive magic <laughs> in the best way Okay, you said it better. You know, it's true. They love magic. Yeah, you know. Oh yeah, I just love that he was afraid by it, and what that suggested to me is that this is a guy who is probably somewhat religious. Yeah, exactly. He's a man of faith too. I love that that informs that about Buck. But but and at the same time too is there's this weird level of respect between them where it's like. Well, yeah, if you're going to do the dark arts, that's fine. I'll watch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's, oh, it's great. I, that is so funny to me that he says, like, it's an illusion. He goes, yeah, it is confusing. <laughs> but he's, but he, he, I like that he's kind of a good magician, yeah. too. He does the great champagne, the floating champagne oh, yeah. trick. He can't help himself. Pretty good. John C. Riley nails it. Um, he's great. Full flip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lands on his back. He's got to one-up the perfect jackknife, which yeah. that is another great thing they did. Yeah. A long tracking shot that ends in an underwater yes. shot. That's some pretty awesome. That's a wrapped up camera. Yeah, that's really really cool shit. Yeah, yeah. Reed Rothschild's just awesome. Yeah, his what, name is Reed Rothschild. And what is his name when he's in... Brock Landers? Yeah, Brock oh, no, Land- Brock Landers is is uh, yeah. It's Chest Rockwell. Chest Rockwell. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? I think they're amazing names. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's one. The one piece where of the movie that could dip into too heavy on the style, I think doesn't. And it's the one time we actually go into the brain of Dirk Diggler. Oh, yeah. And he says, I, I see this thing. I close my eyes. Yeah. And I see these big blue neon lights. Yeah. And they just glow so bright yeah. that they just start exploding. Yeah. And it says, Dirk Diggler. And then we go into his yeah. brain and we see literally that. Yeah. It's like, what do you think? And Jack's like, I think that you, Dirk Diggler, are an angel. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's such a good moment because yeah. he is... He is stupid. He's kind of dumb. He's, well, he's like an uneducated kid. The, so like that's his thing. And the thing it. that I love about when we do that, again, it's the only shot we get inside of his head, and he's describing it as this lavish, this great, oh, this yeah. beautiful. When we and finally see it, yeah, it's just the dumbest thing. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> but I mean, it's it's like that's his. He sees that as big, yes. beautiful, and, yes. and that's such smart filmmaking. Yeah, he could have gone big with that, and it would have been just as funny. Yep. But by making it kind of low rent, and uh-huh. that's something that I think we should talk about. I love how every single character, because porn is this low rent mm-hmm. microcosm of the film industry. Yeah, each and every character is the low rent version of something better. Mm-hmm. You know, he he sees that you know the, these parties they're they're lavish. Yeah, but they're trashy. They're mm-hmm. scummy. You know, uh, Jack Horner is a director. He knows how to shoot a film. But he also, you know, you got to get some t- some titties and ass in it. Yeah. I got to get some fucking in it. You know, yeah. he's got to do it that way. Um, the documentary that uh, Amber makes mm-hmm. is every shot has this beautiful vista in the background that she chooses not to shoot yeah. in exchange for a beautiful vista of a fenced-in highway, yeah. which twenty feet right beyond it is this beautiful thing. But she is getting that shot that she wants. Yeah. 
It's just a shitty version uh-huh. of what would have been good. Every character does that. Yeah. Uh, Louis Guzman, he is the Latin lover. He wants to do his thing, but he's also like a little chunky guy, you know? <laughs> but he sees himself that way. Yeah. That's it's a cue. Yeah. Every, it's, I love that. Every character is. And everybody's, you know, uh, posturing in yes. some way. That's you ever a- see Star Wars? Yeah, like three times. People tell me I look like Han Solo. <laughs> and it's he probably really thinks that. He believes yeah. that. And in some type of way, he is the low-rent Harrison Ford yeah. for their production company. Yeah. It's so cool. Well, I commented that uh, uh, Ricky Jay is just a, uh, a yes. low-rent Francis Ford Coppola. Yep, like he I, looks like him. I mean, that's kind of how Ricky Jay always looks, but I, it feels to me like they, they did a little the something yeah. to, to make him look a little bit like Coppola. I want to suggest, too, that here's a guy in 1977 who edits and that's lights movies. That's what he movies. wants. That's what he wants. Yeah, that's know? his he dream. He's that guy. Yeah. That's why it's so heartbreaking later when they're working in VHS. Oh, he's like, how's it look? And he just goes... Hey, it is what it is. It is and he goes back is. to not watching and just like doing a crossword or something. Yep. Oh, it's brutal. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I wrote down because it was just a great line was at the very beginning, and this actually taps into that when we talk about how they're this low rent version. Yes. When Jack Horner is uh, trying to explain a little bit of the business to mm-hmm. Dirk and how he really needs him to come through, he's like, you know, by the time you got lighting and craft services and all that, and you pay your talent and all this, these things can cost 20 25 Thirty thousand dollars, <laughs> yeah. and it's such a great delivery of that because you're th- in our heads. We're lulled into this sense of this is big time, yeah, for Dirk, and it feels like it, and for him it is. Yeah, but then they drop that thousand dollars on us. We immediately get divorced from it, where we go, oh, yeah, this is a little shitty. Yeah, yeah, and this is a little bit. This isn't mainstream filmmaking yes, here. Yeah, great, great line. Yeah, um, one of the other things that PTA does well here is. He walks the line from cartoon to realism yeah. in a way that that I, I think is difficult. And a prime example is the first fuck scene mm-hmm. where we we literally enter the room over the shoulder of Dirk Diggler yep. behind the door into the set. Yep. And it's very tightly shot, mm-hmm. um, very erotic between him and uh, Amber. Amber, yeah. We see off to the side where the set ends and there's just some shit leaning on the wall. There's mm-hmm. like a ladder, some wires and stuff. Yeah. But it's this very alluring and very uh, cinematic thing. Mm, mm-hmm. Then when we see it through the uh, through the lens of a viewer watching it, which intercuts from the final product of this porn to that, it's hokey. It's no longer widescreen. It's on a rounded edge square screen. Uh, it's all sepia toned. It's all choppy, and it suddenly looks like what we all understand. You know, hey, pizza guy, I'm not going to pay for yeah. a porno to be. Yeah. Then we watch it again through uh, Ricky Jay's camera, mm-hmm. and it's just this tiny little pocket of sort of their their genital region, and yeah. it's just working the focus on it. We go back and forth from those mm-hmm. three a couple times, and it goes from this is alluring to this is silly to this is art. Yep. You know, multiple times, what's that scene? Five minutes? Yeah. And that is... The movie I would have made would have gone straight to the final product and mm-hmm. would have been silly. Mm-hmm. You know, a a movie, a, a, a less bold filmmaker than PTA would have just done the in-scene mm-hmm. stuff. And it probably would have worked. But uh, I feel like you need that separation there yeah. to, to make it humorous. Well, and to also, make it not feel... It feels more honest that way. Yeah, well, like, in the way you described it, like, those three things where it gets to be, like, you know, on one hand it's silly uh, and cartoonish, but on the other hand... It is a little serious, and actually, you know, there's, like, some emotional investment mm-hmm. there that it's we sexy. get out of it. Yeah, it's also a little bit alluring and erotic. 
Um, the idea that it gets to be all of those things at once and encapsulate all those things at once is kind of what he's trying to capture with the whole movie. He's I guess really... it's kind of Jack Horner's view of everything. Yeah. Is, I'm seeing the craft. I'm seeing this this kid blow up. Yep. And I'm also thinking about this final product yeah. and seeing this this magical piece of exactly. art. Exactly. He's like trying to marry the sleaze with the art, and that's kind of like what the whole, you know, that is what it's all trying to achieve the whole mm. time. It's it's, it's kind of fat. I don't know. I love when we see the final product of the Chest Rockwell movie. Yeah. And after they watch it, uh, Ricky Jay's like, what do you think? And he's like, I think it's the best work we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> so, but... Without that, that you know, those three things merging in that mm-hmm. scene, that line might not land. Right. Because I look at it, I go, "This is crap." But it, yeah. but he does believe it's the best thing yeah. he's ever done, and it probably is. It probably you is. Know, it yeah. probably is, and people are responding to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, what else did I have? Oh, this was kind of a cool thing that they that they. Uh, oh, actually, I wrote down this line from uh, from the later adventures of Dirk Diggler. Oh yes. During the uh, the documentary where he's talking about how he created this character. Uh, both him and Reed have ridiculous thoughts on violence in yes, movies, meaning yes. they have no thoughts on violence in movies. Yes. They can't. Violence is a problem that plagues our society. <laughs> but uh, they, he's like, you know, I wanted to. Uh, I don't want to make these these mean movies. I, I want to make stuff that's you know that that's good and entertaining. And there's a scene where Dirk says to a woman that he literally is about to slap in the face yeah. and then fuck. Says, "I'm going to ask you once more, and I'm going to ask you nicely." Where the fuck is Ringo, you bitch? <laughs> That's so awesome. I also really love the idea that earlier in the movie, when he first brings the idea of this character, Brock Landers, up to Jack, he literally, he's bringing it up in the context of, they're making all these movies now, Jack, where 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 the men are so mean to the women. Like yeah. That's not what we want to do. We want to do one no. where he's respectful. He respects the women. And then we just see like four movies later in that series, and he's slapping it's them. Gone. And like, yeah, yeah. it's... It's turned into coke-fueled 80s town. It's crazy. Uh, that is the best depiction of, of what I understand the 80s yes. to be. Yeah. Oh, my my I think the best encapsulation of the this evolution that I've been talking about where we watched the culture evolve from the 70s into the 80s is this idea that for the first hour Jack is very focused on this idea of it's art. It's art. We make art. We make films. These are films. They are art. We tell stories that happen to have sex in them. They're adult films. Yes. We eventually get to a scene where we just smash cut into two huge fake titted women in a yeah. hot tub <laughs> talking about doing anal with each other. And Jack is just like, hey, whatever, just fucking film it. Yep. She's like, is he going to fuck me in the ass? And he's like, do you want him to? And then she's like, yeah. And he's like, all right. Right. So fuck her in like, the ass. And he like just do spins it. his finger. Let's make our money. And they just, they have like huge fake. T- and it's like, that to me is like the perfect encapsulation of how the culture shifted. We went from this sort of like, you know, looser kind of like, you know, free time of like sexual freedom and drug freedom. And uh, it's all about family and connectedness. And this is all art to just like bigger, faster, stronger. Just get the fucking. Yep. Yep. No plot. Just get the fucking. Well, and there's a great scene early on too um, with Philip Baker Hall. Mm -hmm. And he's the guy who says, listen, video is the future. Yep. And Jack's like, just simply not having it. Yep. And he says, you know, I'm not trying to win a fucking Oscar here. Right. right. I, I just want to make a I want to make a dollar and a, a dollar and a dime or yeah, a penny yeah. and a dime off or something like that off of this. He's like, you know, and, but Jack, like, he's not trying to win an Oscar, but he is trying to make art. Yeah. So when he starts moving into the 80s, you get that feeling that no artist wants to have, which is, ah, I'm a sellout. Yeah. You yep. know, but sometimes you need to sell out to survive. Mm-hmm. 
just ask Green Day. And it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that scene where they invent Bang Bus is definitely yeah. like his sort of like almost like that like last straw where it's like how fucking far have I sunk? Well, to he even just... says he was like, "We're gonna change the face of adult film. Yeah, we're gonna do it on VHS, on video, yeah, do it on video. Yeah, yeah and the, and you could just see he hates it. Yeah. One of the things that that I also wrote down was that we actually there's a a quick cut that they do every once in a while where a scene starts with a flashbulb. Yeah. And it's the flashbulb pointing directly at whatever, you know, it's someone taking a picture of that scene. It's a great device because Mm -hmm. it's a great way to establish a shot, to show glitz and glamour, and to, you know, open on a shot of people smiling for Mm -hmm. a picture and moving on or a party or whatever. But each time they do the flashbulb, the technology of the bulb itself advances. Um, it starts out Such with the old subtle. style flashbulb, and it just gets a little yeah. bit better each time. It stops happening before that that scene, ah. and they do a really quick shot of across the way from where the scene is happening. And Ricky Jay is holding the camcorder in the limo, and it just has a big, oh, yeah. bulbous, just yep. flat light on the top, and there's no art to it. Yep. But it's like the technology exceeded the art, mm-hmm. where. You get the feeling like these flashbulbs were going to make it to take better pictures, mm-hmm. to give you better lighting in your pictures. Mm-hmm. And then we've reached a point where it was like, well, now that we can get all of the pictures, who cares about the lighting as long as it's lit? Yeah. And that's that's such a cool device that, that to me, speaks to that theme that this is about film. It is about yeah. making movies. That device of just using the flashbulb and watching the technology develop, it's subtle. It's probably not even subliminally subliminally effective. You have to know it's there to be yeah. looking for it. But that's that's what makes a two and a half hour movie rewatchable. Yeah. Do you think if this movie is like truly about making movies, is the ending then kind of about like it doesn't matter what movie we made, it matters that we made it and the time we spent together making it. I mean, it could be that. Sure, why not? I yeah. mean it could also be like you know, we we tried, we we made we made it through it. Yeah. At least we got each other. You know, right. We yeah. did we did make some. Yeah, art. that's kinda you know, what I'm saying. Made, yeah, yeah, like we made our stamp. Yeah. I said at the end of the movie it could start over again. Yeah. We yep. could go through the same thing in the night. It could be the we beginning of the cycle through again. digital. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know if I have any other notes, but I think we should talk about the two. We can talk scenes. about our favorite scene if you want. Let's talk about the one that I want to get over with because oh, sure. it's the most heartbreaking. Yes. It's when the colonel gets arrested. Yeah. And we find out that he gets arrested because he had an underage girl over. Yep. He didn't touch her. Yeah. But she was a Coke vacuum. Yeah. And she presumably died. Yeah. And uh, the one thing he did. So the scene is is with him on one side of the glass talking into the phone yep. and Burt Reynolds on the other side of the glass. And he says, I didn't touch her. You didn't touch her. Yeah. I didn't touch her. You didn't touch her. Yeah. I didn't touch her. I didn't do anything. Yeah. You didn't do anything. Yeah. I didn't do anything. Yeah. She just died. But they found some stuff. Yeah. And what they found was child porn. Jack, you know me. You know I, yeah. I, I don't do it. But they're, they're so little and they're so cute. And he, he like actually opens up about the idea like he can't help what he's right. into. And it's always like, hey, you can be a pedophile. Don't be a child molester. <laughs> and this guy did something illegal by having this, this yeah. porn. And he's trying to trying to get his friend to accept his disgusting and deplorable right. urges and can't do it. And it's heartbreaking because he's like, Jack, just like tell he me knows I'm he's your, done. Tell me tell you're, me my, you're friend. my friend. Yeah. Are you my friend? Are you my friend? Just say that. Yeah. Just do, do me a favor. He begs. Please yeah. just tell me. And Jack hangs up the phone 
and he's just kind of head in his hands while the other guy is begging silently on the glass and you can see him just saying please please yeah tell me i'm your friend and it's like it's sad because i don't want to have sympathy for this guy because he's a pervert right but i do have sympathy because this is a guy who like now recognizes like i've done an unforgivable disgusting thing give me one ounce of that dignity yeah like what do i have left what do i have and jack like you we've been through everything we've done some fucking awful shit together we've made some good things together please tell me that i'm that we're still somewhat on the same level give me a shred of that dignity and he does not get it yeah and it's it sucks because in my head i'm like i wouldn't give it to him right but i feel so bad for that guy Mm -hmm. doubly so for burt reynolds who arguably wants to say yeah, you know, we're still friends. Like, we, we've had too much that I can throw away, but also is just, like, has to say no. Yeah, like, unforgivable. That's yeah. that's wrong. It's yeah. gross. And you made your bed and you got to sleep in it. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to go. You know, yeah. That, that I, is brutal filmmaking. And I, I one of the things that I do uh, appreciate about this movie is, like, the, again, like, the constant unfolding of, like, there are consequences, there are consequences, there are consequences. Mm-hmm. And I actually really appreciate it. It's, like, hard to watch, but I appreciate that PTA does at the end of the movie go back to his jail cell and show, like, just how beaten down he's becoming oh, in yeah. jail. Because uh, I do feel like that's PTA having a, putting a pretty like harsh foot down on on just like oh, yeah. oh this is punishable and deservedly so and it's not it's this not is this guy's come up and said it should be yeah uh which, which like, is he interesting that we actually understand why the guy did it yeah you know we understand whatever it is that drove him to be this way we understand that he's there yeah but when he's getting beaten up by his by his uh cellmate, cellmate. at the end it's also like yeah that's that's what happens to yeah, dudes dude. like you in jail. Yeah. Yeah, and that's <laughs> you got to pay. Yeah, that's that's going to happen. Yeah. It is one of the side effects of the porn industry right. that uh Tom Cassidy used to do a great joke about yeah. just clicking too deep in you porn. Yeah. It's like you know when you're like 50 clicks too deep and suddenly it gets real murky. <laughs> like, that's a very funny <laughs> idea, yeah. but this is sort of that like the porn industry can be a good thing. I, yeah. I think it but as with anything when you bring too much greed and selfishness into it, it can get real dark real fast, and yeah. that is our window into it. Yeah, and it also functionally almost redeems Jack because Jack's mm-hmm. having a rough go of it at that point. Mm-hmm. And when we see him do that, it's like if he said, "Yeah, I'm still your friend. We're gonna get some lawyers." Right. It might be tough to side with him for the rest of the right. movie. I'd certainly have an issue with yeah. it. But when he draws that line there, it it buys him a little bit more of our goodwill. That you're like. He is not a man without morals. Right. It reminds you he does have a moral compass. Yes. Yeah. That that it's uh, flexible, mm-hmm. but it, it's not breakable. Right. Like, there's a there is a line. Right. It's brutal stuff. It, it is. And that's a, a single. Oh, I hate it. I, I don't even want to talk about it because it's so gross. That scene is really hard to talk. I mean, yeah. it's super hard to watch. It's even harder to talk about because it is. I mean, it's heartbreaking for all of the reasons. Yeah. Okay. All of the reasons are why that scene is heartbreaking. Um, regardless of how you want to frame that, whether you want to say like, oh, I did feel sympathy for the pedophile or however you want to frame it. It's like, it's just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to watch Jack have to lose a friend that way. It's heartbreaking to watch someone uh, try and absolve themselves of of that action uh, through trying to to get some shred of dignity back. You know, it's all of it's just heartbreaking. It's Mm -hmm. such a harrowing scene. And again, it's like, the thing that makes that scene work for me is both the performances, but especially 
Burt Reynolds reactions. Mm-hmm. All of the reaction shots of Burt Reynolds oh, in that are what really, really sell how brutal that scene is. And there's a couple other things. I mean, first staging it that way where yeah. he can just hang up the phone and still see him. Yeah. But also this guy was he was comical looking up until mm-hmm. then. He always had sunglasses on. Yep. They were gaudy and weird. Yep. He had tanner on, yep. but his lips never had any tan on yep. them. So he, he, he looked Trumpy. Yeah. Chumpy. He, uh, <laughs> he looked a little, uh, little chumpy. Hi, Robin. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he had that look, and here he is washed out. Yeah. He's not glamorous. He looks like an old, dirty child molester. Yeah. And it's, you know, he's not in a suit. He's right. in his, uh, I forget what color they were, but he's in his, his, his uh, jail jumpsuit. It's it's, it's the, a mighty uh, have fallen kind of thing. All of his posturing is now it's, it's gone. gone. Yeah. It's it's been stripped away. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. More brutal. My favorite scene. My favorite scene in any movie ever. <laughs> um definitely the best scene in this movie will be the Alfred everyone calls it the Alfred Molina scene. One more thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's the <laughs> one more thing scene. It's uh I, I want to look up Tom Jane's character's name. Oh yeah, I can't remember what his name is at all. It should have just been Tom James. It should have been. Oh, and then uh, I will say this. Robert Ridgely was the guy who played the colonel. Oh. And I'm pretty sure this was his uh, This was his last movie. No way. He died uh, February 8th, 1997, at the wow. age of 65. So before so, this even came out, actually. Yeah. You know what's funny about Thomas Jane? He's in Arrested Development. Yep. He plays himself. Yep. Actor Tom Jane, who's making a dual production of Homeless Dad and I Just Want My Kids Back, <laughs> the zany comedy and the horrifying drama. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my friends was going through that show, and he's not as uh, movie savvy as we yeah. are. And so I was talking about how much I love Tom Jane. And he was like, you're talking about him like he's a real actor. I was like, yeah, he is. And he's <laughs> like, that's not like an Arrested Development name, like Bob blah, blah. Yeah. Tom Jane is such an Arrested yeah. Development name. I'm like, no, that's his that's real his name. name. Yeah. Tom Jane. Well, So Philip Seymour Hoffman was Scotty J. Yep. Ricky J was Kurt Long John. <laughs> so good. Um, I'll find him. He's got to be in there. He might be a little buried. William H. Macy was Little Bill. Little Bill. Uh, I bet he's buried because he doesn't even show up for like an hour in the movie. Yeah, and he's he's really... Oh, yeah, Floyd Gondoli is Philip... Uh, <laughs> Todd Parker. Todd. So his name's Tom Jane. Yeah, yeah. Todd. Todd is uh, what that character is named, for sure. So, uh, sorry. You got a little text there. Oh, that's all right. Is it an adorable one? No, no, no. It's actually one of my one of my coworkers is like a theater fan oh. and wanted to check out Jenna's play that I'm oh, going cool. to on Sunday. So nice. I was like, yo, come out. Awesome. Um, and he listens to the show. What's up, dude? <laughs> um, and uh, Tom Jane. Tom Jane, yeah. So this is a scene where Tom Jane, who has gotten Dirk and Reed into crystal meth, yes, and is just a complete, just total like he is the bridge from the seventies to the eighties yeah. because he he's he's I he believe looks, he's a stripper and he looks he like he's already in the eighties when yeah. we meet him, but we meet him at the end of the seventies. Big bushy mustache, yeah. always got a leather jacket on, you know, shirt tucked into the jeans. Yeah. He's that guy. And uh, he has this idea, we're going to get a bunch of baking soda. Yep. I got this guy, he's crazy, he'll fucking buy anything. Yep. So we'll just put baking soda in a bag, drop it on the table, give us money, we're out. Perfect plan. And this is at a time when Dirk is pretty, like, methed out. Like, he's strung he's, out, yeah. pretty hardcore. So he's, yeah, I don't know, I'm kind of in, I'm kind of not in, yeah. eh, whatever. But they go for it. And he put he brings a gun with him. Yeah. And so this scene takes place in Alfred Molina's house. Alfred Molina as himself. I forget what his what his name is. I the only name I remember in that scene is Cosmo. Okay, yeah. So 
Uh, Alfred Molina is basically the uh, non-movie version of what Scarface. Scarface. You know, he's he's living his imitation Scarface yeah. life. He has a big black security guard yep. who carries a gun and doesn't say a word. He's got his own personal little Chinese boy <laughs> that presumably he fucks. I think he, I, he, he slaps him on the ass at one point. Yeah. Who's just wandering around in a Rick Springfield shirt yep. throwing firecrackers. Yep. Uh, they never explain why, nope. but it totally fits because yep. that's totally one of those things that this guy would have. Well, and it's also like I in my head, it's like, yeah, if I if I'm if I'm Scarface, right, I'm this rich dude that has access to no all limits. these drugs. No limits at all. I, crazy things are happening in my house all the time. So yeah. one, that just makes sense to me. It's like, yeah, of course there's a Chinese guy throwing firecrackers around. But it also functions on this great level of, we know our three heroes, heroes, our three heroes are strung out on meth. And up to no good. And up to no good. And now there's just a loud gunshot sound happening every four seconds in the room that they're in. Yeah. It adds so much tension to a scene that is already crazy tense. Rahad Jackson is oh, his name. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, and that it, it makes the tension for us. Yes. Because each one of those is a jarring yes. thing. It makes the tension for these guys who are doing something that is very likely going to get them killed. Yep. It's desperate, it's stupid, yep. and they're strung out. But it's also very funny. Yes. Because every time they're trying to talk business, every time one of these goes off, uh, all three of them react. They with react. Yep. And it's always funny. Yep. Alfred Molina never reacts. No, he doesn't. He's he completely doesn't break in his own all. world. He's got uh, uh, Sister Christian <laughs> by Percy Sledge rocking out. Uh-huh. He al- he dips into the rockouts, doesn't quite know the words. Never knows the words. Lights his candles with a torch, yep. smokes some, I guess it's some kind of crack or meth uh, or something yeah, yeah. With, with his you know his, his little torch, torch thing. Yeah. I got anything you want. You want cooking? And yeah. they're all, no, we don't want anything. We yeah. just want to get out of here. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know how to describe it. it. It's so funny, but it's so tense because it's a little bit of dramatic irony because he doesn't know he's getting ripped off. Right. He's this comically just coked up, insane, drugged out maniac. Mm-hmm. And then we've got these guys doing something really, you know, well, they could be having a good time if they were legit, but totally. not legit. And they they also don't even really know what they're in for. Yeah. Like Like Tom Jane has this whole other plan that he has not revealed to them about trying to rob him at gunpoint from a safe in his floor or whatever. So, like, there's just all of this tension to the scene where, like, nobody actually knows what they're in for. They're all just as heightened as they've ever been in their lives in a bad fucking situation. And we know as the audience all of the bad pieces that are at play. Oh, yeah. There. None of them do, but we Does know. this go back and forth with the Buck Swope bakery scene at all i feel like they're right near each other structurally i don't they, think it, it doesn't cut back and forth it, but they're right near each other that this is, is where it gets explosive that's the final montage before we get to the title card one last thought yeah, yeah. oh you know what it is too it's it's his um buck swopes thing happens right after this scene because i believe oh no no it doesn't it happens before this because the but then the resolution where we get to see him having his baby happens after this Oh, okay. Because okay, after yeah, yeah. the scene is the Brian Williams. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, yeah. Montage. Yeah. So, but the mon, but the but like the the yeah, montage of heck over is what the, happens right before. Yeah, this. exactly. Where they where they beat each, you know get beaten up and yes. shit. Yeah. 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 One of the coolest devices. It is one of the more showy moments. Is at the end of this. Uh, Robert, uh, Robert, Alfred Molina, Rahad Jackson. I'm <laughs> fucking it all up. Ha! So how's that meth yeah. treatment? Um, Rahad Jackson is talking about how ah, you know, I, I don't like uh, 
I think he's talking about uh, CDs. He's just talking about some music media. Yeah. I forget that he doesn't like because he wants to listen to whatever song he wants, yeah. whenever he wants. Who are you going to tell me what music I should listen yeah. to and when? I want to be able to pick everything. I'm in control. It, and then the song stops. Yeah. And he looks over at his stereo and makes this face like, eh, well, I guess you, know, yeah. you got me. Yeah. And the tape switches. And it goes into uh, Jesse's Girl, yes. a Rick Springfield song yeah. tying into Cosmo's shirt. Yeah. And uh, that that's kind of the tonal shift of the scene. Mm-hmm. Because right when that happens, uh, Reed, who is totally like trying to be yeah. like, the smart guy on this, he's looking over at the guy who's checking out their drugs that they know are fake, yeah. that has a huge yeah. gun. And, okay, we got to get out of here. We gotta, yeah. you know. But they don't decide to get out of there. There's this one shot, my favorite shot, I think, in any oh, movie yeah, ever. Yeah. And it's, there's nothing flashy about it. It's just a long shot on Dirk Diggler's face as he hits rock bottom. Yep. And he looks, he sees what's going on, he's terrified, and he kind of freezes. And he goes from terrified to spaced out yep. to, actually, I, I wonder if I can get in on this. Yeah. You know, this guy's life looks pretty fucking cool to me at this second. Yeah. Maybe he'll take me under his wing. Maybe I can become him. Maybe, And then dips back out, and then it turns into, you know what, this is... This is rock bottom. This is bad. We have to go. We quite like I was saying to you, it's like we to me, I read that as just like I'm literally watching him come back to a reality he hasn't known or thought about in like seven years. The world exists. Yeah. Like there's consequences. Exactly. Like he it's like he whatever fantasy he's been living ends right there in that moment. Mm -hmm. You know, it just all completely deflates. When they tie it thematically, uh, Rahad does this thing where he pulls out a gun and they all freak yeah. out and then he plays Russian roulette by himself. Yep. He puts a bullet in, spins it, puts it up and just laughs it off. Yeah. And it's like you do that enough, you're going to blow your head off. Yeah. And I think that resonated with Dirk right. where That's, it was like if I like, keep I've been doing rolling this. the dice, yeah. like we're we're in a loaded gun right yeah. now and so like the trigger's getting pulled. Yeah. We just don't know what's what's going to happen. Yeah. That's that's a really awesome uh it's just a thematically rich moment that is terrifying, yep. intense, and so fucking funny. Yeah. When he does the, uh, uh, after yeah, he shoots yeah. himself, yeah, yeah, what do you get? My favorite. You're not invincible, dude. My favorite line in the whole movie is in that scene where uh, Cosmo has been throwing firecrackers for like six minutes at this <laughs> yeah. point, like over and over and over again. And Alfred Molina doesn't even seem to know that there's another human in the room with him, mm. even though there's these loud firecrackers going off. And then all of the sudden, as if he hasn't noticed that all three of the guys on the couch have jumped every (laughs) single time a firecracker has gone off, all of the sudden, he seems to realize that they're all uncomfortable because of that and just goes, ah, that's Cosmo. He's Chinese. Like, Like, that's his explanation for the whole thing, and then it's all fine now. What's funny, though, is I think, and this could be just completely stretching... The Chinese invented fireworks, from what I understand. Yes, yeah. So I think that's just what he associates with. It's like, yeah, it's a Chinese people do yeah, fireworks. Yeah. Hey, you know, and then he sucks my dick. Boom, he's my Chinese boy that I that I presumably purchased. Yeah, it's oh, that so line gross. is so funny to yeah. me. That's oh, yeah. Cosmo. He's Chinese. He's Chinese. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I don't know what else I can say about the scene, but that shot at it, the center of it with Mark Wahlberg. Yes, it's, it's literally just a shot of him, mm-hmm. um, halfway in the frame is Reed kind yeah. of leaning in, like, you know, what having a conversation go. with him. Well, not even necessarily we got to go, just having a conversation with him. Because he's, uh, Diggler's the one that goes, we have to go. Yeah. 
we have to leave. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, he goes with them. Yeah, yeah. But it explodes when Tom Jane says there's money in the floor safe yeah, in your bedroom. Go get you. it. I'm yeah. gonna rob you. And it leads to a gunfight. Yeah. Love it. I the thing that I think before we get off that scene is, is so impressive about it is you and I were talking about how we've seen you know, we've seen the movie a couple of times. And so that, you know, that scene's tense no matter when you watch it. But like really knowing what's happening there, like all of the pieces of that at once. Oh, it adds that depth. whole scene is so stressful. It is funny, but it's really stressful to watch. It, the stakes are so high, and he does such a good job with the firecracker sound design and, and just the way it's edited where we almost feel like we're on the drugs that they're on because we're just cutting back and forth from glance to glance, person mm. to person. It's really, really impressive just how fucking tense that scene is, especially when it starts with the title card. One last thing. Oh, and, and also, too, when they first pull up, it's the first time we see Dirk Diggler's car has clearly been in some accidents. Yes, yeah. We never see these accidents, right. but it's wrecked. Um, when they run away at the end, we leave with Todd Parker, Tom yep. Jane. He's dead. Yep. Um, the, the security guard's dead. Yep. I think Cosmo's okay. Thank I think fuck. so. Yeah. Um, Alfred Molina is just running down Crazy. the street after them. But he also, when they get away, he's just kind of like, eh, yeah, such is my life. Yeah. I'm going to go play Russian roulette. But Dirk gets away in his car that he has to push, push away. Push to start. Yep. And uh, uh, Reed runs off. Yeah, he's just like, night. yeah. So it's like that. It's broken. Yeah. You're like there, there's Everything's just broken. Nothing it's all left. falling apart. Yeah. I need help. I need help. Yeah. Yeah. That, oh, God. What a fucking. That moment is like so big to me i don't know i that and maybe it's just watching it's it this time yeah when we it, get there it doesn't feel because i i think anytime we ever see that it's a trope and it's somebody who's like oh i'm broken i need your help and it, it just becomes fake it becomes that cartoon and this could so go there but it doesn't it's, yeah. it's earned it's there and i believe that he wants the help mm-hmm. i know that he needs the help mm-hmm. and i'm completely on board with jack saying you know i actually do care about this guy in some yeah. type of way i was exploiting him for my gain. Yeah. But I do love him. Well, and I'm going to help him. And you know, it's like, I also, I, I created this in a way. Yeah. Know? Well, and it's, you know, it's kind of that thing you said um, where it's like this, the ending could be the start of like another cycle where we all just go downhill again with these people. But to I'm be hopeful on- it's not. To be honest with you, the impression I get from the way it's played in the end is not that it's the beginning. I think that is a way you could read it. But the impression I get from the way it's all played in the end is... Everybody realizing we all took advantage of each other. We made a lot of bad mm-hmm. choices. But at the end of the day, we are some sort of, kind, you know, like Jack is literally a father at the end of that, basically. Mm-hmm. He's literally walking around like, hey, can you clean your room? Uh, is it, what, that, your food smells terrible. Could you make us something different? Like, this he's, is what the neighbors are complaining about. Yeah, <laughs> he's literally like I'll a dad in it. that scene. Well, he says, uh, even when Buck's like, let me tell you about, no, no technical yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you about the bass. No bass. Yeah. Mellow. Mellow. I want mellow. Yeah. Mellow. Mellow. Man, he walks away. Yes. Mellow. Yeah. Mellow. It's, so it, they're there. It's almost like there's a recognition of just like, we're all we have. Mm-hmm. And, and we do care about each other. We have that. But it, and Roller Girl goes to school. Yep. Um, even though, uh, I mean, I guess Amber's rock bottom is when she attempts to get custody of her kid. I think and so. And it's just... It's it's definitely not happening. Yeah. And it definitely shouldn't happen. Yeah, she hits that, but she also has that awful scene with her and Roller Girl yeah. just doing crazy amounts of coke, um, talking to each other, eyes on the coke the whole yep. time, taking turns sniffing. Will you be my mom? I'll totally be your mom. Yep. And it goes from tragic to manic. It's it's really really well done for both oh, the oh, sexes, yeah. but horrifying, horrifying, and you know could be played so many ways, but mm-hmm. comes across as honest and real, but. 
by the end, like they kind of are mother and daughter. Yeah, exactly. You know, she she is making movies. She's yep. a uh, roller girl is back in school. Yep. That's that's a good thing. Yeah, it's it's pretty. I I do get the feeling at the end that it's that it is supposed to be a positive thing where mm-hmm. it's we all realize we have spent years taking advantage of each other and not addressing the you know just not um not being aware enough of the consequences yeah. of, of our actions we're young and dumb and full of cum as yeah. they say yep. it's so almost literally true yeah here. louis guzman's character he opens up his uh his new nightclub yeah uh that's something i never noticed before when he talked about why he wants to be in porn it's i want to be able to send something back home to my brothers yeah let them you know if i die i got a nightclub it closes whatever i want to send something that my brothers respect me yeah and by the end he opens the th- three brothers or whatever it is yeah. uh nightclub and it's him and his brothers together. And I love the idea that because he was given that chance, he's no longer trying to impress his brothers or or outdo his brothers. Mm-hmm. He's giving them a chance to yeah. come in on his good fortune. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. You know, that's and that's such a small thing that's just nice in there. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Ah, oh, they put a Q there. It's <laughs> supposed to be a G. Ah, that, that's actually a line I never noticed before. <laughs> it's so funny. Just to because me. I was, you know, wrapped up in the moment. Yeah. God only knows. I'm trying to think who else we we didn't cover. I mean, oh, I I guess one the one scene where they layer music over two competing tragic scenes is the one where Dirk is back to mm-hmm. doing favors on the streets yes, and, the, and ends up not being able to get it up. Yeah, and then, and then the dude up. who like wanted it gets all homophobic yeah. on it. But which that's actually a great scene because it's clear clear that he planned to beat up this guy, yeah. but it's clear that this guy chose yes. to be the one in the car because he's into it. Yep, you know it's it's such a great uh, depiction of the whole like if you hate it, maybe you might be it. Yeah, you know, and it, which definitely rears its ugly head in homophobia amongst mm-hmm. a lot of things but mm-hmm. very obviously there when it does yeah that is that that was a, a hefty scene yeah i agree at the same time uh, across town we have uh the the jack and uh, roller girl. It? bang bus, bang bus. Uh, happening yep. and it's just uh, th- and that's heartbreaking too because when the guy just wants to fuck which is what bang bus exists yep. for is we just want to watch some fucking uh, jack's going you're, you're blocking the, the shot yeah, yeah, yeah move this let me do my thing man you're yeah. blocking the shot yeah and we have two simultaneous heartbreaking beatdowns. Mm-hmm. One is of Diggler, like really, really hitting, just hitting the floor, it's quite literally hitting rock bottom. Yeah, and get, just getting stomped out by these hateful dudes who, yeah. you know, who you, one of them even has a story of his own. That's yeah. good character writing. Yeah. At the same time, we have Jack hitting rock bottom, going, "Fuck, I'm making trash." Yeah. And it's not that the the movie was bad that got him. It's that the guy said, "Your films suck anymore anyway." Yeah, that got him. And um, and I think, but for me, I read part of that scene too as him when he says, "Like, and your movies suck anyway." I think a lot happens to Jack there. It's not just being told his movies suck. It's like being told his movies suck by the guy that he just let fuck this girl that he's taking advantage. Like, I think like a whole oh, avalanche yeah. of things well, fall on him He's also realizing his movies do suck. Right. You know, that kid's right. Right. But then also at the same time, too, he he has that kid has that background with Roller, Roller girl. girl. He was the asshole he went to that high school knew with she her. was like yep. a slut in school. Yep. And he's ready to fuck her, but then the second she gives him blue balls yep. because it's, you know, it's owed to him, he's like, well, you're just a fucking whore. You're a fucking slut. Boom, boom, boom. And so he gets beat down. Yeah. But at the same time, there's one of the like there's a moment for her where she's hitting a rock mm-hmm. bottom where she realizes, you know, I, I am not making something of myself right, right now. Right. It's, it, it's this wild triumvirate of these three important characters really hitting 
And it's a gut punch in the movie. Yeah. I, I, but that the music that they use over it was actually in Heart Eight. Yeah. Um. So it's the same music cue, but it's it's just a repeating tone. Yeah. And it's super effective. It really works, yeah. and it goes on for quite a while. But it like feels like it's building more and more tension, like as it goes, mm-hmm. even though it is just a repeated sequence of like low tones, basically. Mm-hmm. It's really really effective. I haven't seen Heart Eight in a long time. I, it's I have worth like, very little memory of it. I revisited it maybe like two years ago, having yeah. mostly forgotten the plot, yeah. and was able to be like flabbergasted oh, by. Cool. There's one like central reveal yeah. that. You know, as soon as it happened, I was like, oh, I remember that. But yeah, it, it's good stuff. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I got to go back and watch that. Because that's, you know, uh, Philip Baker Hall and uh, uh, John, John C. Riley. Riley. Yeah, and yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow and Sam oh, Jackson. Right. Fuck, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. it's good God stuff. Damn it. Yeah. It actually really teaches you how to swindle a casino in a way that is legal and logical. Well, like the tips that he gives yeah. John C. Riley at the beginning would and do work if you do them. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, pretty well. Uh, well, I so, love Boogie Nights. Yeah. It's a movie movie. It's one of those movies that, like, it wasn't always my favorite movie. Right. But there was a period a few years back where I I, I didn't have any, uh, like, internet for a short mm-hmm. while. So it was just in my DVD player. And so I just kept catching scenes of it. And then it occurred to me, like, man, I've watched this straight through, like, four times. And yeah. I just keep seeing new things. Or I find myself being just unstoppably entertained by it. Yeah. It's good stuff. It's it, really it's good. Just Paul Thomas Anderson, to me, is the best filmmaker working today. Yeah. Still to this day. And Heron Vice, I thought, was just amazing. But he, uh, uh, he even did Janoon. He did a, mm-hmm. a documentary, a short one about mm-hmm. you know just a, an album being recorded. Yeah, dude knows what's up. Th- this is surely one of the great movies of the '90s. And I would imagine, you know, ten years from now, when people are writing books about that decade, which is sure to happen, uh, it will be one of the like touchstones of like, oh, absolutely, you know, uh, just. What filmmaking was in the 90s, because this also has a pretty particularly 90s look to it, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which uh, It's interesting to say, considering it's hell-bent on being 70s and 80s, but I think you are right. Yeah, it, it, what I mean by that is it looks like a movie that was made in the 90s, mm-hmm. but one of the things it successfully does as a movie that was made in the 90s is really make the setting feel real. Mm-hmm. That it really feels like you are in a crowded, alive 70s when you're well, in Well, another 70s. movie from that era is like a Forrest Gump. Yes. That also, you know, traverses yep. a, a fair amount of time. That feels like a 90s movie. I think it's an inferior I movie. I think it's the film. I do like Forrest Gump. I know a lot of people have turned on it. But it doesn't necessarily feel as the 70s as this does there's some sort of film stock that was used in the 90s i know i forget what Mm -hmm. it is it's something unique that was really only used in that decade and so that's why we can kind of say like this looks like a 90s movie oh yeah um and and yeah i just i feel like when that yeah when people start really breaking that decade apart this is going to be one of the movies that like stands tall above the rest no question like i said in the in the introduction i think that that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson has probably made better movies. Yeah, I think that There Will Be Blood is is probably a better movie. I would agree. I, I but I, I just go back to this one. It's my favorite. This is your it favorite. Just yeah. works. Yeah. I, when when uh when uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman died, uh, some critics said if you look at the body of work of Philip Seymour Hoffman, all you have to do is go, what are the best movies of the last twenty years? Yeah, that's his filmography. Yeah, and uh, this is just a, another example of that. Yeah. There's so many celebrities that are now Oscar winners that are in that. There are an Oscar nominees. Mm-hmm. There, you know, Mark Wahlberg was in that movie, but yeah. like Mark Wahlberg's a he's a thing now. Yes. He is a name. You know, that was oh oh look, Marky Mark can act too. Yeah. Cool. 
That was Burt Reynolds' swan song in a way. He doesn't do shit anymore. I know. Julianne Moore, she's a, now an Oscar winner. And yeah. She's killer in that, but she was just kind of just an actress. Yeah. You know, not uh, Heather Graham. She's been in everything. Yeah. Everybody went, Don Cheadle is Don Cheadle. Yeah. He's a, he's a, uh, he's a Marvel superhero yeah, now. Yeah, you know, and in this he was just—I I saw him once on a on Fresh Prince. Right, right. And uh, yeah, it's everything that came out of this went on to do something great. Yeah, it's and, and started doing something yes. great. It's a great movie. Yeah, fuck. I well, and uh, I think this dovetails nicely because we were just getting into Hard Eight there yeah. a little bit. It's his second movie. Yeah, which is twenty-seven. Unreal. It is unreal. Like, it took Scorsese seven movies to achieve this. I made that number up. I don't know if Goodfellas is a seventh movie or not. But to achieve this level of filmmaking and technique, and this guy's doing it on his second movie. I'm actually, we we wanted to look this up before we started talking about it, is what, uh, you know, what, how did did he get the funding to do this? Yeah. I know he had his foot in the door of show business. And I I would assume that... um, I would assume that that Hard Eight granted him some artistic, right. but I feel like Paul Thomas Anderson is one of those filmmakers that, against all odds, just kind of is a final cut guy. Like yeah. he's, it's his movie. Like yeah, him and Tarantino, you don't touch it. That's right. the rule. You can buy it, you know it's going to yep. be good, but you don't touch it. You don't fuck with. Makes it. Makes me wonder if he like uh, produces them independently and then gets distribution afterwards or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really don't know. I'm looking through the trivia now just to see if there's anything. There's anything about uh, it? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because it's just fascinating to me that a 27-year-old had a script that was so good it attracted all this attention and money, you know? Here's an interesting thing. Electric Light Orchestra leader Jeff Lynn originally refused to let the song Livin' Thing be used in the film because he, quote-unquote, has a problem with sex and violence in movies. Lynn asked to see a screening of the film and loved it so much that he said, go ahead wow. and use the song. Now, this is IMDb, so this yeah. is all yeah. subject to... Uh, Interpretation. Yeah. Uh, but... Talking about this being his second movie and how impressive it is as a second film, uh, Dan and I thought an interesting list this week. In a deleted scene, Dirk Diggler does crash the car. Ah, But they they left it out. It actually, I think, works better with just like, you you understand that bad things have happened to him over time, just seeing those dents in the car. Well, apparently, too, there was... That was what got him to do the job, was Mm -hmm. he said, oh, you can get this much money for selling this fake meth... That's enough to get the car fixed. That uh, was going to be, but yeah, I could. See, I like it better as I just think it a works better without those set details. Dressing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think we're going to do a list of uh, some of our favorite second movies, uh, and uh, what we mean by that is just the second films that different directors made. So their sophomore efforts, the best sophomore efforts from different filmmakers. Uh, since this has got to be one of the best sophomore efforts from any filmmaker. Oh yeah. Uh, and uh, I came up with quite a hefty list here I have that I'm just going to have to whittle down in front of you as we talk about it. All right. Well, you know what? Let's let's just do let's just do it like a regular list. Yep. If it gets sloppy and yeah. we get into you know honorable mentions and all that. Oh yeah, we will. And so I'll start with one because I don't know if you've seen it, so we can just get it out okay. of the way. Um, Steve McQueen. Nope. Did uh, Hunger, mm-hmm. which is a great great flick. It's what introduced me to Michael Fassbender, mm-hmm. who eventually went on to. Come to America with uh with Inglorious Bastards, mm-hmm. and it's a movie about a uh, a hunger strike in a prison. In a right? prison, yeah. yeah, it's absolutely horrifying. A little rough around the edges, mm-hmm. but he followed it up with Shame. Yeah, which I have not seen either. Shame is great. That is a difficult movie, mm-hmm. and it's just the story of a sex addict mm-hmm. and a sex addict who is forced to break his routine of selfish pleasure seeking when his sister moves in, mm. and can't do it because he is a 
I always have a tough time because my exposure to the concept of sex addiction comes in the form of when a married celebrity is yeah. caught fucking a lot of people, they just say they have a sex addiction. If they're single, we just say they're George Clooney. You yeah, know, like it's yeah, you know, so like Tiger Woods, he cheated on his wife. He had a sex addiction. The 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 cynic in me says, "Are you just saying that to to kind yeah. of push the the judgment back?" Which I don't blame you. Go right. for it. But you know, I've come to understand it. It is a real thing. Yeah. You know, it can really affect addiction. Anything that's addictive can you know, addiction's the disease. What yeah. you're addicted to is the variable. Right. And uh, this really shows this debilitating. Just he he cannot stop. Yeah. And it's it's. It's a tough watch, but it's really, really good. Yeah. But when I said hunger was rough around the edges, shame is is grimy, but it's it's sleek and mature. Mm. And then his third picture, one best picture, <laughs> yeah. a slave. So you know, now he's doing a, I believe Black Panther, right? Is he? Y- oh no, that's Ryan Coogler. Oh, Ryan Coogler. Sorry, he was crea- yeah. uh What is Steve McQueen doing next? He had something. I have no notable. idea. Well, either way, his second film, Shame, was a big jump ahead in quality, theme, and. It also existed out of the like. This is a movie that he wanted to make, and is not touched by yeah. by, uh, you know, uh, sales. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I can. Uh, I think that gives us a nice little uh, bridge to one that I put on my list. So I'll just make it my number five. Ryan Coogler. Creed was his second full length feature film. Yeah, his first full length feature <sighs> was Fruitvale Station, which is harrowing and excellent did, in its own movie? I did finally see that movie, movie. Yeah. It, it's harrowing and excellent in its own right uh, but Creed is like to me like we watched a guy who made a very small movie about something very important to him make a huge basically blockbuster movie oh crowd pleaser that actually fucking works in a way that that kind of Hollywood movie hasn't worked in over a decade for me oh yeah you know what I mean I'll say it this way, and I, I've said this, and it's a bold proclamation. He made the best Rocky movie. That's what I think too. I and I love the original Rocky, yeah. and I know that this that Creed exists it cannot exist without, without it. it. But I think if you put the two of them next to each other and said, "What are you watching right agree. now?" I'm going with Creed. I'm going Creed. The only time I'm not going with Creed is because I just finished watching it. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. Yep. Oh, it's I, so good. It's it's a that is one of the more. We are living in an era right now where this keeps happening. Colin Trevorrow makes one small movie and gets to make a Jurassic Park. It just like, fucking sucks. Yeah, and it, so we live in a world where this happens now. He makes a Fruitvale Station, he gets to make a Rocky. And Fruitvale Station is not really a technically flashy movie. No. It's competent, and it's mm-hmm. it's tight. It's airtight. It's confident. like 70 minutes long. It's competent, yeah. confident, very well made, and not not creative. Right. But like Creed is like... what. Who's this guy hanging out with? It's a single take fight in it. It's beautiful. It's unreal. Oh, yeah. Uh, So, yeah, to me, it is like uh, he might be the example of, oh, that does work sometimes Mm. when you let the little guy take on a big thing, you know? So, yeah, Creed. Creed's a good one. I didn't even think about that, and I'm mad that it's not my number one. All right, number four, um, Darren Aronofsky followed up Pi with Requiem for a Dream. Uh And that is a movie that isn't as joyful as a boogie nights no but is just as oh, horrifying holy god and it is memorable and he's become a much more technically proficient oh, director yeah. now uh, I, we always talk about you know and, and i think paul thomas anderson is in this too where they got rid of the flash kept their style but mm-hmm. refined it mm-hmm. he's gone through that and requiem is really him with all the stops pulled out yeah he's more refined and i'd say that his movies now are stronger from a filmmaking mm-hmm. sense but in terms of elevating from a you know, a, a, a Nolan did it too with Memento. It's mm-hmm. like 
Uh, sorry if I undercut. No, the but that no, that's fine. But uh, I got following twenty entries. So okay, list. cool. Uh, was Memento on there? Uh, I, I it was going to be something okay, yeah. I talked about. Maybe as an honorable that mention. That just popped in my head yeah. now. But uh, he he just pulled out all the stops and said, "This is what I'm capable of." And yeah. Requiem was. I still say, if we showed Requiem to every high school class, we could probably put a dent in a fair amount of uh, dangerous drug use. Yeah. Uh, God, that, just take it out for air. I literally didn't put that movie on this list because I just didn't want to talk about yeah. that movie. That's it's how ooky. effective it is. Yeah. It's fucked up. That's still such a good line. Yeah. I didn't just take, take yeah. it out for air. Uh, I would love to use that one day, but I'm just not that person. Yeah. It's... uh. Uh, you know what? I heard a line the other day. I watched a video on on Reddit last night. It was a clip from Silicon Valley. Yeah. And TJ Miller uh, beats up a kid for like a child for Adderall in okay. this scene. But like the little kid tries to get in his face and he's like, boy, you, you just brought piss to a shit fight. <laughs> and he slaps the kid in the face. I'm not that person, but I want to tell someone that they brought yeah. piss to a shit fight That's when funny. I'm clearly about to big league him. <laughs> That is funny. But anyway. Uh, this is one of my faves. Uh, Ryan Johnson uh, came onto the scene with Brick, which is very good. Like, um, very much like what we're talking about. Flashy in the way first movies are flashy. Hungry. Yeah, very hungry. Uh, and then he made us, but it's a very good movie. It, it's oh, it's yeah. really, really good. That kind of started the, oh, shit, he's not just the kid from Third Rock. Right. J, uh, with JGL. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then he made this movie, Brothers Bloom, which I still think is very underseen and very underrated. It's never talked about it, and it's one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. It's so good. Yeah. It is one of my favorite things. It's we, it's kind of what we were talking about, Boogie Nights. It's not movie about movies, but it's a story about storytelling, which is one of my favorite things. Uh, and it is not nearly as flashy as Brick, but still with the style that is distinctly Ryan Johnson's. Uh, and it is really really funny while somehow being like very moving by the time you get to the end of it mm -hmm. uh and it, it gets there very naturally through some really really interesting fun plotting it's essentially a um it's not a heist movie it's like a grifter movie i don't know what you would call that it's a uh, uh it's a con movie a con movie exactly yes it's a con man movie uh, that classically plays a con on the audience uh, while also playing cons on its characters. There is so much conning going on in this movie, it's unreal, but none of that is even important because there's such a thematic richness to it at the end. It is, it, it's really great, and I think it's like a really great example of a guy that comes out of the gate with a movie that is just hungry and stylish and flashy and immediately given the next opportunity is like, Let's rein it all in and see what we can really do. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's really impressive stuff. I, I think Brothers Bloom is is a high recommend for me for people. People that's should definitely one. seek it out. I didn't and see even it. consider that, and that is a uh, that's a really good uh, really good entry. That's yeah, a yeah. really good movie. I was actually thinking about it the other day too. Like I haven't seen that uh, since it first came worth out. Worth rewatching. Yeah. I gave it a rewatch a couple years back, and it really holds up. It's a lot of fun. Ran <laughs> out of water there. Um, all right, so we're on to number three. Number three. Um, this is a movie that has a special bond with our show, and it ah. is Shane Carruth's Upstream Color. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, Primer was his debut film, mm -hmm. and it was a very, very convoluted, crazy, and just awesome uh, time, like just a very bold, hungry time travel. Uh, I'd call it a classic. I think yeah. it's, it's incredible. Every time I watch it, I go, well, now that I know what happens, I'm going to follow it. And every time I pause it to literally draw a map, yeah. and it's great. Yeah. And he followed that up with Upstream Color, a movie that, um, you know, it took us 
a whole episode and an interview with one of the stars to even begin to crack yes. it. Yes. And it, it, but it's so purely uh, interesting and enjoyable. Oh, right? yeah. It's just so good. It's super cinematic, and it is. Um, there's no, even if you find yourself at odds with its story or something, or maybe you're a little lost with it, you will never feel like you want to turn it off. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just it demands your attention and, and holds your interest the entire time. It's pretty amazing. And from a filmmaking standpoint, it's like a, a big maturation from Primer to, to that, I think. Oh, yeah. You can really see him he develop. He goes into this weird level of abstraction mm-hmm. that uh, Primer is very cold and clinical. Yeah. There's no abstraction. It's just... It's it's very heavy on the you know its device. Yeah. Uh, upstream color can be interpreted a hundred ways that are all probably correct. Yes. Yeah. And if you asked Caruth to explain it, he would probably say hey, you could do it better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's just a, it's just a great second film. I don't think he's done a third yet that I can think of. No, I know he's had a couple in development for a while, yeah, but yeah. I, I don't think anything's made a small appearance in a Swiss Army Man. Yeah, that's right. But uh, yeah, it's just a, it's it's another one where this is a filmmaker that somehow got out of the system and is just doing things on his own terms. That's that's a good good step that's a up. Really fucking it's brave good and example. Bold. Yeah. Uh, God, I have so many I want to talk about. So I'm just trying to. I mean, we'll we'll just do some. Uh, uh, what's the word for it? Uh, uh, and honor, honor, honorable mentions Fair afterwards. Enough. Uh, yeah. so all right, l- l- I'll do this one. Uh, Walter Hill, his. First movie uh, was something called Hard Times, uh, which I believe was the basis for that movie with uh, Ethan Hawke later down the line. I, I think that was like a, a, a remake of it or which something. One? Har- Didn't he make a movie called Hard Times, Ethan Hawke? Or was that Harsh Christian Times? Christian Bale did Harsh Christian Times. Christian Bale, that's what yeah. I'm thinking of. Yeah, uh, Harsh Times. I think Hard Times was somewhat the basis for that. But so his second film, and I have not seen Hard Times, so I can't speak to the development between the first movie and the second movie. But The Driver became one of my favorite movies of the 70s as I watched it three different times over the last two years because I couldn't get it out of my fucking head. I literally, it's the only movie on Letterboxd where I watch it. I gave it three stars and I said, this movie was pretty good. And then I watched it again six months later and I gave it four stars. And I said, this movie is kind of amazing. I, I don't know what I missed the first time around, but it really worked for me this time. And then I watched it a third time six months after that. And it was a five-star movie that I just could not shake. It's the only movie I've ever just, every time I watch it, it went up in stars every single time. It is phenomenal. It's such a great movie. It's one of the most simplistic movies I've ever seen. It's extremely straightforward. The characters' names are The Driver, The Detective, The Connection. It's so straightforward and simple. But it is so, it, it, it is, um, it's sort of like Dirty Harry. It's like a, a cop and uh, a criminal, mm-hmm. two sides of the same coin. It's literally that thing. It's like, the only thing that divides... We're not so different, you and I. Yeah, yeah, the only thing that divides these men is the law. It's that thing, but it's probably my favorite example of that thing. It's so good. I, I, people need to see this movie. It's, I mean, it's a car exploitation movie. It's just like mostly a fun driving movie, but something about it, it's a little deeper than that. There's something about it that it grips Walter me Hill in. until now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think about that. He made the Warriors right after it. Nice. Yep. Love the Warriors. Yeah. Love it. All right, my number two, um, because this is a movie that we will be doing an episode on. Yes. It is a movie movie, and it is a movie about movies. Mm-hmm. Um, right on that bridge of, are we going meta, or is it this kind of thing? And it is Spike Jones's second movie, Adaptation. Dude, it's on my list. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. I Adaptation. love this movie. I love being John Malkovich, but Adaptation is head and shoulders head above Head and shoulders it. above it. So good. Yeah. Uh, so much so, we dip back into a scene from... 
Being John Malkovich in adaptation. Remember that? They go to the set of Being John oh, Malkovich yeah, yeah, yeah. in adaptation. That. That's funny. That's how meta it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, that movie is... I, I, we need to do an episode on it because I... That Matt movie, Sang said that he didn't like that movie and wants to be our guest. Oh, so yeah, if you're listening, right. you are invited. We'll do it. Yeah, we need to do it because I, that movie is one of the richest movies I think I've ever watched. There, I get more out of it every time I watch it. I mm. see new things in it every time I watch it. It's been a while, too. I'd like to rediscover yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, again, just from film, you know, talking about a second movie and filmmaking and stuff, that has some really incredible stuff in it that has very little to do. I mean, it has flashy stuff, but, like, the flashy stuff does not seem... You don't realize how flashy it is. Mm. The flashy stuff is that we're watching two Nick Cages at once, which is kind of a flashy filmmaking thing, but Nick Cage's performance is so strong, it doesn't appear flashy at all. Mm. It really feels like we're watching two different characters. Oh, it's, they're, oh, it's like tragic. Well, it's another one like Boogie Nights where it can be tragic and funny. Yeah. It's not, you know, violent and, and destructive. Right. But, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> I just love that I movie. I love that movie. There, that's going to be the longest episode we ever yeah, do. Yeah. And it's just going to be us being like, it's a movie about the movie yeah. that he's writing as he's in it. Yeah, yeah. And we're watching it, but it's like he's, you know. Oh, dude, I, God, I can't wait to talk about yeah. that movie. There's so many. That one hurts my brain every time I yeah, watch me it. too. Because as I start to to add on the layers of self-commentary yes. and it starts to cycle over on itself, I start to be like, now I'm not focusing on the movie because I'm just like, well, once you, like dancing with it. Well, we should talk about it yeah. when we do that movie. Because once you get to the end and the way that his brother leaves the movie feels like something that his brother would have written into yeah, a script yeah. that his brother was writing, not something that he would have written. And then the credit at the end is both of their names, yep. even though one of them shouldn't be credited with that movie based on what happens. It's But on top of that, it's the real him did write yes, it. Yes, yeah. And absolutely did write it and was probably inspired to write by that by the creation bro- yes, of his brother. It's, it's uh, unfucking uh, real. It's, yeah. It, it's perfect. I, we, I can't wait to do an episode about that movie. But as a step up from being John Malkovich, which is a little bit more... Uh, outwardly gimmicky and definitely rough around the edges. A little more rough, yeah. And it's it's just it's that one is so much trying to be a gimmick, yeah. And adaptation sort of pumps the brakes on that, yeah. but uh, it just matures a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, cut, love yeah. it. Oh, me too. Uh, I will hit you with a. Let's do this one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, John McTiernan. So he's an interesting case because I have not seen his first movie, but I desperately want to, having now read about it. He made a movie called Nomads. Uh, I'm familiar that, with it. I, I was not familiar with it. Now that I'm saying this out loud, I can't remember exactly. It's like Harvey Keitel and, oh, nice. and some other people. It's like some really, really, it's an interesting cast. Uh, so I don't know much about that movie. I do want to see it. I know it's a full length, uh, you know, 90 minute movie. You know what his next movie was? Predator, motherfucker. Uh, is, it, is it Die Hard? No. Die Hard comes later. Uh, Die Hard, in fact, comes right after Predator, but Predator was his second movie. You want to know the plot of Nomads? Yes. A French anthropologist moves to Los Angeles and is followed by the evil spirits of an, of an extinct tribe he once uncovered. Yes. Starring Pierce Brosnan. Yes, that's who it is. <laughs> Fuck, yes. I knew I read about that and one. Adam Ant. Yep. I knew I read about it, and it had some interesting people in it and had the weirdest plot description I'd ever heard, and I need to see it. But uh, he, Predator was his second movie. And Predator is still 
one of Ted Nugent. the <laughs> definitive classic 80s oh, yeah. action movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was this guy's second movie. You know, it's like we're talking about how PTA ends up having one of the definitive movies of the 90s. McTiernan ends up having two of the definitive movies of the 80s. Oh, he Predator makes them back to like back. The movie. And yeah. they're his second and third movie. That's awesome. It, it's unreal. It makes uh, you forgive Rollerball. Uh, yeah. Immediately. Uh, did he go to jail after Rollerball? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Tax yeah. evasion. He'll be back. Like that? Yeah, some kind of thing. I don't understand it. Yeah. I, I like to think that he like exploded a terrorist. Or yeah, an yeah. Oh, an alien terrorist. Yeah. Oh. I just think Predator is like such a fucking great, great movie. And I had no idea. I thought for sure. I've spent my whole life assuming that's just like the fifth action movie. Oh, yeah. That guy. You know what I mean? Just an that, 80s action guy. Yeah. And it. that like he had made four of them before. It's so ambitious. And that they were all like schlocky. And that Predator is just as schlocky as those and just happened to be the one yeah, we all just liked. into it. You know? Yeah. And that's not the case at all. It, it's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. his second movie, and it was made with the precision of like a young filmmaker. That's like my f- like I've never even heard of his first movie. Yeah, I've never yeah. heard of No Man. So it's a dude that is still hungry as hell. Like I need to make that movie that gets my name out there. And fuck if he didn't do it. You oh know? yeah, I guess that's kind of what got him to Die I, Hard. I think so. Yeah, oh, that's a really good one. I, yeah, that's another one I'd like to rewatch again. Me too. We should I've do it for the show. A, I would love to do yeah. that for the show. We should actually do. The first and second Predator uh, for sure. Oh, I would love to. The, uh, that's actually uh, Predator 2 is where Bill Paxton completed his uh, killed by a Terminator, oh, an right. alien, yeah. and a Predator. That's right, yeah. I think the only other person who did that was, is it Lance Henriksen? Yes. I think it's Lance Henriksen. Yes, yeah. 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 It's pretty wild. Yeah. What do you got? My number one... Um, this is actually the first one that popped in my head, and I think it's it's the best. Uh, Raising Arizona. Oh, it's on my list as well. Yeah, yeah. we had uh, Blood Simple. Blood Simple, which is incredible. I really think that, great. That's all. Re- the Coens are beyond. They're like a PTA where it's just like, tell me anything they did is bad, and I'll tell you why they're wrong. Yeah, yeah it's just it's so. Some are better than others, but they're all just yeah. on point. Blood Simple is like a grimy noir mm-hmm. and it's it's the kind of movie that everybody wants as their debut yeah. where it's got just enough you know just enough of their director stamp on mm-hmm. it to make a name it's got a good script but it you know it's very low budget and and uh you know, like I'll, I'll, if you're making an early movie as long as you make it like ooh that's fucked up yeah. that gets you some points that's mm-hmm. a good thing and then they just made the zaniest comedy w- imaginable. The weirdest, like, yeah. one-two punch of movies. Like, and they're both so good. Yeah. And it would become, like, the blueprint for their career. Yeah. Would oh, yeah. be, like, the sort of serious noir followed by the zany comedy. Well, in every single one of their movies, and as uh, I've been going through them and, and you know, uh, haven't written a piece in a while, but the yeah. one thing that is that is connecting all of them is that every single one of their movies could be, like, if it's a comedy... You could reimagine that exact same movie, exact same plot, exact same story as a fucked up yep. horror drama, whatever. Yeah. And every, like, Blood Simple, you can make that a goofy, misunderstanding oh, yeah. movie like Burn After Reading. Mm-hmm. Burn After Reading, you can make that a cruel, mean noir like Blood Simple yep. easily. Yep. Intolerable cruel- Cruelty could be just a dark, dark drama yeah. or a silly comedy. It's every single, every single one of their movies can do that. Yeah. Um, even True Grit, which is not an original thing. Um, that story can be... I mean, we've seen it played two different ways. Yeah. You could play that as a comedy. You could play that as, uh, you know, as a No Country for Old Men kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They kind of walked the line down the middle, which they do that often, too. Yeah. That's... Raising Arizona just... 
it wasn't a success at first. I think it became a success because it was. Uh, I, I saw that in every you know Walmart two dollar yeah. DVD yeah. bin, and it was always on TV. But it got reassessed when people were like, "That's actually, you know, we all liked it, but uh-huh. it was nothing special. Like it's actually brilliant." Yeah, love it. That, uh, man, that is such a. All right, so I got to find a number one, right? Uh, I got a lot of things here, things I want to throw. We'll do a lot of honorable mentions. So I think I want to end with this one just because we talk about him a lot on this show. I love this man and his movies, uh, and he's had a hell of a week on Twitter. John Carpenter, Assault on Precinct 13, uh, is his second film. Now, we could actually have an argument about what his second film was, and either way, we'll be having the same conversation about how incredible his second film is and how much of a huge improvement it is over the one before. If we want to consider Dark Star his first movie, Assault on Precinct 13 is his second film, Mm. uh, which is what I did for the list. Because Dark Star, you can make arguments about it. He calls it his student film. It's like 70 minutes long. We could argue about... How does where does that fall? Whatever. Yeah. But let so then let's take it out of the conversation. Then let's say it is his student film and take it out. And Assault on Precinct Thirteen is his first full length feature. Well, then Halloween is his second movie. Yeah, and that's the best it, movie ever made. It, it's yeah. just like a huge, you know, it, that dude literally for like a decade was just like, did I make a good movie? I'll make a better one. Was that one good? I'll make a better one. Yep. Was that one great? I'll make a better one. He just continued to like refine his craft. And then he reversed it. And then just fucking, (laughs) it's a bell curve with that guy. Uh, But I love Assault on Precinct 13. Oh, yeah. And I think that is, and if you've seen Dark Star, holy shit, is that a leg up above what Dark Star is. Dark Star is still fun and interesting, but it doesn't even feel like a Carpenter movie necessarily. It's definitely a first-time filmmaker just trying to figure out how to use the tools and stuff, you know? People don't count Damien Chazelle's student film. Right. So, But, I mean, you could. You could. You know, and say Whiplash was his follow-up. Right. It's a better story that Whiplash followed by La La La. Yes, exactly. And so if it's a better story that it's Assault on Precinct 13 followed by Halloween, we're talking about like Assault on Precinct 13 is like a really great movie, but it's also like a small, rough movie. It's, you know, he's he's getting a lot out of very little in that movie. And Halloween is doing the same thing, but with an eye toward... Halloween feels like a movie that was made with, like, I know exactly what I'm doing and exactly how it's affecting you every second. It's the classiest slasher. It's the classiest slasher. Assault on Precinct 13 isn't quite at that level of, like, this is so well orchestrated, it's going to fucking blow shit out your pants. Is that a phrase that people use? Blow shit out your pants? I have no idea. Words that just came out of my mouth. Honestly, though, if if I could describe how I feel about John Carpenter and why he's just a god that I believe walks amongst us. Yeah. Any of his later movies, even the ones that are bad, like yeah. I love anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His movies always make me blow shit out of my <laughs> yeah. pants. Me too. Hells yeah. Uh, so that's my number one. Nice. Uh, so one. I'm going to run down honorable mentions for myself real quick. Uh, two big ones right off the bat. David Fincher's second movie is Seven. Seven. That's that's that was almost on my list. Yeah. yeah. Which is unfucking real, especially coming off of his first movie, Alien 3. Yeah. Um, George Lucas, his second movie, American Graffiti. Yep. Like an unreal, actual American classic. And he followed, you know, his first movie was THX 1138, which is underrated and underseen. So, like, I've never seen it. It's I know of it. Quite good, I think. Cool. But it's, yeah, it, you know, it's weird too. It's not, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that is definitely a case of a young filmmaker being super flashy and then, like, really reining it in for a second yeah. movie. Oh, yeah. Um, 
Go ahead. Hit me with a couple of years. Well, I, had, I had seven on there. Yeah. Um, this one, I just left it off because it's been talked to death. Yeah. Used to be what I called my favorite movie ever, but Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, uh, same thing. I left it off for there. the same reason. Um, we already did an episode on Rushmore. Yep. Uh, I, yeah, Rushmore I have that on my list, on too. Yep. And then I thought this one was actually kind of interesting because this is a very, very controversial filmmaker. Um, and he's about to come back with what I'm hoping is a really good movie. Um, I, and I think he's, he's started the show Return lately. But The Sixth Sense hmm. was the second movie of M. Night Shyamalan. Right. His first was the Rosie O'Donnell comedy, Wide Awake. Right. And so he did The Sixth Sense. I'm interested in Split. I think, that's, um, I I think, think that's that cool. could be good. So here's a couple more interesting ones. It comes ones. out in like two weeks. I know. Uh, a couple more interesting ones that I thought were just like, these are worth noting. Uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is a second film. That's Michelle Gondry's second movie. Yeah, okay. Um, Ridley Scott. Guess what his second movie was? Alien, motherfucker. Oh, man. Alien was his second feature-length film. I, I actually have to undo Sixth Sense because I, I didn't scroll far enough. It's his third movie. Oh, son of a bitch. a movie called Praying with Anger uh, in 1992. Uh, yeah, apparently Ridley Scott made a movie called The Duelists before Alien, yeah. and that's the one that I was thinking of that has like Harvey Keitel and a bunch of yeah, other yeah, actors yeah. in it. I've never seen and it. It sounds Alien. crazy. Alien, second fucking movie. Yeah, that's like a predator where it's yeah. just, how'd you do it? Okay, this is another one where we, we might have to argue, but again, interesting to note, James Cameron. If we can agree that he was the director of Piranha 2, which depends on how you look at history, The Terminator is his second movie. Yeah. If The Terminator is his first movie, well, then motherfucking Aliens is his second movie. Unreal. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. Toby Hooper. Made, I was just going to say, to yep. Made a movie called Eggshells, never heard of it. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, second Featured full-length movie. Uh, Election, Alexander Payne, second featured full-length movie. Fucking Election is one of my favorite movies. Oh, it's yeah. unreal that that's a second movie. Uh, the Descent, Neil Marshall. Uh, he made Dog Soldiers, followed Dog it up Soldiers with The Descent. Awesome. And uh, The Descent is amazing. It's oh, yeah. probably my favorite horror movie from that decade. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. The Matrix is the Wachowskis. Yeah, second feature-length film. Um, Train Spotting, Danny uh, Boyle's second feature-length film. Trains, T2 comes out in a couple weeks yeah. as well. Yeah. I had another one on here, um, and it's a weird one because it's a movie that not everybody loves, but uh, I think it's kind of brilliant. Johnny Dangerously, oh. which is Amy Heckerling's second yeah. film after Fast Times at Holy Ridgemont shit. High. Holy yep. shit, yeah. Johnny Dangerously is great. It's I, I've very, never seen that, very actually. funny. It's Michael Keaton, baby. Yeah. Uh, one last one to throw at you, just because I know we're both big fans. Kill List, Ben Wheatley's second feature-length mm -hmm. film. What was his first? Down Terrace. Oh, okay. Down Terrace is awesome. I haven't seen that yeah. yet. That popped up on Movie once, yeah. and that is a that's a and that's he a made winner. and he made Sightseers after yep. uh, that second film, which I love. Sightseers. Can't wait for I fucking Free Fire. I know Free Fire yeah. looks so fun. That's yeah. what uh, everyone thought the secret screening was going to be. At the oh film damn, dude! No, you know, what? I'm kidding me. Raw. Oh, you got to see Raw, Fuck yeah. right? Raw was like I the really best. Really want to see that that's, too. That's that movie is the best. Yeah. So yeah, Free Fire. That'll we'll see them all. All right. All right. We'll see them all. Well, let's let's wrap this uh, wrap this present up for Thanks these for folks on this to new us year. All yeah, about Boogie Nights is like my favorite movie ever, and I promise you that if you haven't seen it and you watch it, you'll enjoy it. And I promise you that if you have seen it and you watch it again, it'll get better. Oh, yeah. And I promise you that if you're tired of it and you put it on again, you will still find more value. Fuck about it. yes, it's just so good. It's so good. Um, I it's the, a movie, movie. the only thing I watched recently was Alien. In fact, I rewatched that with some friends over Christmas, and that movie is fucking astounding. Uh, I was telling Dan I was like real spaced out while I was watching it, so like I didn't even really pay attention to it or follow the plot. All I could think about was just like this movie looks fucking huge. Every set looks fucking enormous, and I know for the most part those are sets and matte paintings. Mm -hmm. Like it's unfucking real. That movie's incredible. I caught up with something off of my shame list that oh. I'll recommend. Um, 
and it sucks because it just left Netflix, so you're just going to have to fight oh, it yourself. Yes. But your dad has it on tape, <laughs> so you can watch it. Unforgiven. Yeah. I had never seen that. I've never seen that either. It, uh, it's Clint Eastwood's uh, Best Picture winner. Mm-hmm. It's just a good Western. Yeah. And it's it's of the classic variety of just this guy is an old retired killer who's trying to go straight, but he's got to do w- one last ride. One last ride. One last ride. One last job. He's got to go after Gene Hackman. Family. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it is about family. His wife's dead. He's got kids, but he's got a him and Morgan Freeman got to team up and Steal kill these guys who cut up a hooker's face. Yep. It's awesome. <laughs> but what I love about it is it's one of those where nowadays he would find strength in avoiding the drink and avoiding the violence. Yeah. In this one, when it comes down to it, he decides, give me that bottle of whiskey so I can kill this room of people. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's good. Awesome. Yeah. I got to check that one out. Very worth watching. Unforgiven was a lot of fun. Let's wrap this thing up. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the show in 2016. We have really exciting things coming this year. We've got a big announcement for the summer coming up that'll be really, really fun. Uh, I know we've got some Baltimore, Maryland listeners. Look out for us. We're we're coming to your city this summer. We're coming after you. Uh, So uh, keep on the lookout for that. We'll have more details about that in the coming months. Um, Thank you guys for listening. Uh, Please find us on iTunes. I like to movie movie on iTunes. Rate us. Leave some comments. You guys have been doing that recently and it's been yeah. not only a joy to read you have said really nice things about us which we really appreciate it's helpful to the show it gets more people when I type listening. in I like we are into the list we're so moving, we want to get that higher moving up on yeah. that Google search and I think we get that through subscriptions I think that's I how that works that's so that if works. you have your phone subscribe yeah. if you're at an Apple store just fucking start clicking yeah. I don't care just get us up there because then more actual yep. people listen and, and I think even the five star reviews and the helps four star whatever you want to give us everything the, helps everything helps love uh, us yes. validate yes and uh, again, find us on Twitter. I like two movie. That's the number two numeric two. Uh, Facebook.com slash I like two movie. I like to movie.tumblr.com is the best place to find old episodes of the show. Give them a listen. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Philadelphia. That's with an F. And I review every damn movie I watch on letterboxd.com slash Philadelphia. I am on everything as Dan Scully. So uh, on Twitter, on Letterboxd. And uh, yeah, check that out. Go to cinedelphia.com uh, for uh, some shit that I do for them. And uh, there was something else I wanted to say, and I just saw it said date code on the mixer, and I thought it said Diet Coke, and it <laughs> like totally blew me away. Boogie Nights. Yeah, just, uh, guys, interact with us. Let us know what you want. We'll do it. Yes. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. I like to movie at gmail.com. We are whores. Uh, yes. Uh, oh, and uh, hey, check me out over on farsightedblog.com as well. Uh, we do some cool stuff over there. I believe, finally, eventually, my review of Angry Birds movie will go up, which is something they oh, made God. me watch like a month ago and oh, made God. me want to gouge my eyeballs out, and they still haven't posted the fucking review, and that makes me want to gouge my eyeballs out. You know what you are? You're a little green piggy. That's yeah. what you are. I'm an angry fucking bird. <laughs> I'm real angry about it. Uh, uh, so yeah, look forward to that. Uh, all right, let's do this thing. My name is Garrett Smith, and I like to movie movie. My name is Dan Scully, and I like to movie movie. And we all know that you like to movie movie because, because we, we like to movie! movie!